from one and all the tape makers, the show where we listen, discussed, and then based only on our opinions, objectively rank every single album ever released in one single tiered list. I'm your host, Josh Doller, and I'm joined today by the soothing and also sneaking Jared Richard. Jared, how you be, boy? Sneak. That calls us sneak precious. So soothing. We've been watching Lord of the Rings with my partner. Hell yeah. Extended cut or regular person cut? Look, here's uh, extended editions. Okay. Except for Return of the King because fuck the extended edition of Return of the King. It's not good. Uh, and as always, you can uh, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, S- no, I don't think we're on SoundCloud, but all the all those places you find your podcasts. Uh, you know, if if you listen to audio mediums of people yakking, we on there. Uh, and if you're able to rate and review us, say nice things about us, but more importantly, tell a friend if you think they'd be interested in us. Yeah, please. It's Christmas time, boy. Uh, yeah, it's Crimby month. Yeah. Uh, oh, that reminds me. Babe. You gotta turn the Christmas lights on. They're on. Oh, she's already on it. Yeah, I know. I saw. I saw the the nice Christmas lights that you guys got. Before we go too far, I do want to say, uh, first time uh, debuting, eight episodes in, we got new theme music. Yeah, uh, written by the one and only Jared Richard. Jared, thank you for writing our new theme music. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna sound a little bit better than what I was able to find for free online. Uh, I wouldn't say written so much as. Uh... Um, forged, <laughs> written and performed by, uh, uh, p- pounded out of r- raw materials, <laughs> put together by, uh, uh, assembled, uh, assembled and refined, made vibrations happen in that very specific way. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah, that one. All right. Yeah, yeah. So you guys got some some nice Yule lights up. Uh, yeah. On on the, on the house, you you gonna go get a tree. Uh yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully this coming week. Yeah, I um, think I think tr- I think tree is this weekend. Yeah, for me, so that's going to be exciting. That's going to be fun. Nice. Uh, so obviously Christmas music's on the radio right now, and uh, it doesn't. Like I I know this. I should know this because obviously we live in a capitalistic hellscape, and we always have. But like the fact that. The media, the whatever, the powers that be decided in, like, the 20s and the 30s, like, hey, we need to make Christmas a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, how do we make it a bigger thing? Well, we write music for the season. Right. And then all Christmas standards were written in, like, a 20-year period. And then they're like, okay, and now we don't need any more Christmas music. We are done. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of strange how there, there's just, uh, like it's very difficult for modern artists to try and write. I mean, Spoon, one of my all-time favorite bands, they released a Christmas song right. a few weeks ago. Really? It's bad. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise me because like, it's a Christmas song. <laughs> I I I'm somebody who who like will defend Spoon on a lot of points, but that's it's just not a good song. Uh, yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to find new good Christmas music. Like the only other thing is like Michael Bublé, but that's just a white dude doing jazz covers of the old standards yeah like he doesn't write his own stuff no um and and that's the other thing too is that modern artists p- performing 
old songs doesn't really count in my opinion yeah no um, it doesn't because like, there are definitive versions of like every single one right. most of those are on the album white christmas by bing crosby or on the christmas album by nat king cole right yeah or all i want for christmas is you by mariah carey that's like the only outlier what is that i've never oh it's... Uh, how's it go i I'm a couple bars, Josh. No. <laughs> I know what my range is. That's my Mariah Carey. That's actually a pretty good Mariah Carey. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the only other like two big music things that happened, uh, which all revolve around, uh, you know, the controversy of uh, white artists getting a lot more praise than they probably should. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adele released a new album. Uh, I haven't listened to it. I've I listened to like a little bit of it. Uh-huh. Um, but the main reason that I knew Adele released uh, an album is because the entire talk online was how Adele basically ripped off half of everything about the album, including like the imagery of it. From oh, this wow. Very like specific, like, niche uh black artist oof and like everyone was just like yeah no go listen to this person instead because this is like if not inspired by directly taken from this person oof yeah Uh, so that's fun i don't remember the name of the person off the top of my head because the controversy was like three weeks ago and that's how things work now but it was only online where she where people were talking about that, so that's fun. Right. Although Adele did uh, do an interview where she said, you know, this is an album, so you, you can't listen to it song by song. You got to listen to the full album. And she pressured Spotify into changing yeah. the default from uh, shuffle album to play album. Yeah, that uh, I appreciate that to, uh, to an immense degree. Yeah, no, it's, it's nice. And she also... Like, big respect to Adele with the whole music thing in general, because she's like, I'm not really wanting to, like, put my music on TikTok, because I don't think my music, like, you should be experiencing music through TikTok, because that's not what, like, artists write music for, type thing. Um, I can understand that to a certain degree. Um, I, I don't know, they're, they're uh, artistic intent. Uh, in terms of like extending to the actual like method of experiencing it, um, can only go so far. Um, right. So like, for instance, there's, uh, it's kind of a meme in a way, um, uh, on the internet, no, not on the there was this movie released called Tenet, directed by... Uh, have I brought up Tenet on the podcast before? No, but I, I remember the internet discussion around Tenet. Um, suffice it to say, uh, Christopher Nolan uh, is heavily involved in every step of the process of, of his filmmaking. He's cer- certainly an auteur in that, in that regard. Um, however, he specifically has his audio mixed so that it can properly be experienced in a full IMAX setup with like the full sound system and and uh, high yeah. high volume ceilings not high, high you know what i mean high ceilings uh high yeah. ceilings and high volume ceilings yes 
uh, and the, the most high def version possible. Right. Um, and then once and and it'll be like dialogue, for instance, maybe during a scene where there are people out on a boat that is going fast over the water and and they are yelling over the water at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that dialogue is intelligible in that specific viewing setting. Right. But in no other <laughs> viewing setting is that intelligible. You're t- saying that. The fault of not being able to hear movie dialogue on my phone is not the fact that I'm watching Netflix through my phone. It's because the director didn't know what they were doing. Uh, no, it's the, that the director knew exactly what he was doing and what he was doing was kind of fucking stupid in my opinion. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a I think I appreciate it just because for so long and especially pop music, uh-huh. uh, the idea of an album has completely been disregarded Mm -hmm. that like there's almost no artist especially no artist on the level of adele that release albums experiences from front to back Mm -hmm. um and so in you know the mainstream pop music dialogue i guess you could say it's always been about like this these this collection of songs they put out you know x y and z and i mean i think a lot of artists are starting to reevaluate how they want to do that i mean taylor swift just went back and re-recorded and re-released an entire album because she's free of her old music label now i think and mm-hmm. that's so that's why she's going back and doing all of her old stuff so i think artists are trying to like take back ownership of their music to a degree that they may not have had for the past decade or so. I I think that's specifically in the realm of pop music because um, pop music doesn't much exist um, outside of uh, record label interference. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, Um, for sure. I mean, there, there are very few examples of people who sort of like, gained popularity through independent releases through doing things themselves um and then got picked up by a label and and got you know rocketed to superstardom right it's it's usually like you know these people are sort of picked hand selected uh, uh, hands hand selected and then and then have uh uh have greatness thrust upon them right um and so because of that especially earlier in their careers these these artists won't have um as much creative control um as they m- I, I should say that maybe they don't realize the level of creative control that they ought to have over their yes, art for sure um and be, because that's being withheld from them and then as they uh as they mature uh both as people and and artists but also like as as their career progresses and they mm-hmm. realize that maybe they should have a little bit more control over the things that they're putting out there with their name on them right and i think that also is what tells the difference between a quality pop artists like Adele, who, you know, has been popular for 12 years now or whatever, mm-hmm. like a Taylor Swift, like, a, you know, back in the day, a Michael Jackson, uh, Queen, Queen a little bit, um, just mm-hmm. because of of the time type stuff. Um, Prince as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like those people are names that endure within pop music because they took hold of their careers at some point and right. were like, OK, well, this is the framework that I know how to work in. So how do I work within that framework to create the most compelling, beautiful, um, out there music that my genre 
or what I what I know how to write, and that is okay to like right. sell can can happen as well. Which is uh, another the only other music thing that really happened since we last got together was the Beatles, another band kind of in that yeah realm. They're uh, like eight hour long docu series on writing their last album together came out on Disney Plus called Get Back. Yeah, um, I've I've seen a couple of clips from it. Um, I've never really listened to the Beatles. Um, and like the reactions to that r- range from like, how the fuck have you never really listened to the Beatles? Like right. what's wrong with you to like you, are, how do you call yourself a musician? <laughs> like you play guitar and you've never listened to the Beatles to right. like, it's fine. You're not missing much. Um, and yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I, um, my only exposure to the Beatles as a kid uh-huh. was uh, up until, oh geez, I don't remember the album before Rubber Soul, but um, Rubber Soul was the first album they released after they stopped touring, mm-hmm. and then the f- three or four albums after that, which includes Sgt. Pepper, uh, the White Album, Let It Be, like all of their like. Was it Revolver that you were trying? To- yeah, Revolver. What did I say? No, no, no. I'm never mind. Okay, yeah. No, but like, so all their albums that are considered more like artistically, like studio pushing the boundary stuff, mm-hmm. all happened after they stopped touring, and then they just lived in the studio for like five years mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um. But when I was a kid, you know, my parents only listened to the stuff that they listened to when they were kids. So it was a bunch of the early Beatles. You know, like I want to hold your hand, eight days a right. week. Uh, hard day's night you know yeah. that, that classic so that's what i thought i were i worked at a restaurant that had a separate lounge area and there were basically two cds that were played on repeat all day long and one of them was just like like early beatles <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. like I, that I, first compilation or whatever yeah that's the most exposure to the beatles i've because you know they they are fairly strict at, as far as like who is allowed to use their music and when right um, yeah uh like led zeppelin's uh the Another same one. way yeah. like uh, where you know you don't hear their music in movies or in commercials because no, pe- yeah. people like <laughs> have to pay a shit ton of money if they decide to do that yes. if they're even allowed to um and so yeah my mo- the, the most exposure was like that, that early beatles yeah. stuff um yeah no so i the only reason i got exposed to later beatles is because uh someone that i met in college was like listen you say you don't like the beatles that's because you haven't listened to this stuff listen to this stuff and then if you say you don't like the beatles then you don't like the beatles and that's okay right uh but you you can't say you don't like the beatles if you haven't listened to their later stuff so i did and then i started to like the beatles a a decent amount Uh uh-huh um and then i purchased a old beat up uh vinyl of the white album mm-hmm. for like five bucks or something like that and that's a that's a actual double lp that's like 36 songs type thing mm-hmm. and that's where i'm like oh okay i i get it i get it now because the sounds that they were making back in 1967 68 mm-hmm. are just like and i've heard that in the last five years and right. i've heard that in the last five years um and you know the quality of their songwriting got a lot better or at least lyrically got better but um if you really like harmonies, some of their early stuff have some really good harmonies. Right. Some of their earlier stuff is also really good guitar work, especially uh, Paul McCartney's bass work. Yeah. It's also very impressive. Drink. Uh, we love we love an impressive bassist. We drink for bassists. We we drink for bassists. Mm. But um Yeah, and then I after that I went and listened to John Lennon's solo 
stuff that he put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is literally just like mid 2010s, like indie folk rock. Yeah. Like indie blues rock. Like oh, this yeah. is, this is, this is just that. So you see why they're so influential. Um, but it was really interesting cause I, you know, I follow a wide variety of people online. And so there was people who were like, I've never really liked the Beatles or listened to the Beatles or, you know, it wasn't growing up around them. And it was fascinating to see people be like, yeah, no, like this is the creative process. Cause specifically there's a clip going around of, um, Paul working out how to like what the lyrics for get back are going to be, which mm-hmm. is one of their like classic songs. Um, and people are just freaking the fuck out online about it. It's like, Oh my God, look at how they're doing that. And this, and all these other people are just like, yeah, I mean, like, that's how, that's how you write music, that's how you write music. <laughs> and like, yeah. I, I, and honestly, like that's part of what's sort of kept me away from the Beatles for so long is, is just the overwhelming, like, number of people and the intensity with which they adore the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it feels like a, it feels less like a legitimate appreciation of the artistry that I know that that is there within their music. Um, and more of like a, an embrace of the commodification of this, uh, oh, of this group, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, no, I totally get what you mean. Um, but speaking of, uh, Beatles esque music with nice harmonies and great bass lines. Yeah, no, what a fucking transition you would, asshole that's where i was gonna <laughs> go uh the first album we're gonna be talking about is bonfire on the heath by the clientele uh yeah uh which probably is, the closest to the beatles i've ever gotten listen if you like the client if you specifically like this album you will really like late era's beatles <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so a little bit of information on uh bonfires on the heath uh, it was released the 6th of october uh, in 2009 by Merge Records in the U.S. Yes. Uh, in the U.K., though, it was released November 16th by Pointy Records. Oh. Um, it was their fifth studio album. Uh, the clientele have been together since, like, in some form, since, like, 1991. Really? Yeah. They, they were founded in 1991, broke off and did some different stuff in the mid nineties and then came back together in like 97 Mm -hmm. and then started releasing stuff as the clientele as a band, but they consider that the band was founded in like 1991. Wow. Yeah. I did not realize Um, that. And also they were a British band. They're from the UK, but they're way more popular in the States than the UK. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're the mass. For some reason that makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know why either, but like, yeah, so th- that's why the album was released a m- month and uh, two weeks in the U in the U.S. ahead of the U.K. Right, which is just I I always find that interesting. All right, uh, so let's talk about who is in the clientele and all of these credits. I'm taking from the closest to liner notes that I possibly can. Okay, all right. So Alistair McLean did vocals, whispering, acoustic <laughs> guitar, slide guitar, Spanish guitar, jazz master, and Telecaster guitars. <laughs> I love that they specify that. <laughs> All right. Uh, James Hornsey did bass and backing vocals. Mark Keane did drums, percussion, piano, backing vocals, and the trumpet arrangements. Oh, nice. And then Mel Drazy did violin, piano, Hammond organ, Rhodes piano, glockenspiel, backing vocals, and string arrangements. Whew. All right. So that's the clientele. That is the, that is the artists that make up the clientele. Uh, here are the additional musicians mm-hmm. on this album. Uh, we have Nikki Gleed, who was a first violin. John uh, Horde 
uh, as Trumpet, Brian O'Shaughnessy as Electric uh, Tambora. I don't know what that is. I don't know either. Is it like an electric tambourine, tambourine or something? Yeah, look it up real I'm quick. Lo- I'm looking it yeah. up. You can keep going. Uh, Sarah Squires is second violin. Hannah Stewart is uh, cello. And then Charlie Stock was viola. So that's kind of the uh, string um, that is backing them. And is T-A-M-B-U-R-A. Ah, uh, tambura. Uh, yeah, so uh, as I said earlier, they didn't release anything until they reformed in 1997. And then their first album... Uh, was Suburban Lights that was released in the year 2000, and that was their, you know, first album, first first big hit. Uh, so yeah, they they started and ended the decade with releasing uh, five albums. It's a toy. It's a toy. An electronic instrument that replicates the sound of an Indian string instrument known as the tanpura. Huh. Used to provide constant drone to accompany. It, uh, it look. I guess it's not. A, it looks like a child's toy. But it's a, it's more of a droning instrument. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what? That makes sense. Um, and we'll get to that later. But yeah, no. Um, apparently, the way that they originally achieved the, the very breathy vocal performances, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like a calling card of them, of, of the way that the vocals sound, is that they w- were too... Uh, what's the best way to put it? Uh, too broke to afford a PA. Okay. Um, and so what they did was they just plugged the mics into a guitar amp, um, originally, um, and then they really liked the sound of it. So they just kept, that's just how they kept micing vocals. All right. Is, is they, yeah, they just pl- plugged into, uh, guitar amps. Um, yeah. And they just love the fact that they were like, yeah, we didn't have the money to invest in a PA. So we just had to make do. Right. Uh, um, it's very like 1960s surrealist psychedelia pop inspired. Yeah. Um, um, a lot of their earlier, early, early stuff apparently was like super heavily just washed in reverb. Like we've talked about reverb, like being washed in reverb before, but apparently yeah. this was like everything, an ocean, an, an ocean if you will. Um, a tidal wave. Yeah, um, apparently their early stuff was a lot of slow bedroom jams, and this is from an interview. They said uh, that it would lead to a lot of people smooching at their show in the front rows. Yeah, I, um, well, how I got into this band was listening to their first album when I was a teenager, uh, which is a bop. And right. uh, is yeah, it's it's music for making out to like you can't listen to it and feel any other way. Like it's you listen to it and you're like, damn, I like wish I was uh, on the bedroom. Like I like it makes you feel like a 17 year old on your bedroom floor with your crush, like with a record, like a turntable spinning <laughs> on the rug next to you. Right. And and you're just just making out. Nothing more, <laughs> just just making out, snogging, <laughs> hella snogging, <laughs> just like every single like it, it, indie love movie of like the mid to late thousands. Yeah, yeah, okay, for sure, for sure. Um, actually, so the clientele broke up in 2011, um, and then they reformed in 2015, uh, and then released uh, their seventh studio album in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so they released one album after this album, but during the buildup to this album release and tour, mm-hmm. they talked about the fact like, yeah, this might be our, our last 
thing. We don't know if it will be, but so they were very aware that they were kind of coming to an end as a entity, right, for a bit. Um, so some other like just interesting stuff before we get into uh, the album itself. The thematic element of the album comes from the fact that Alistair uh, went to Portugal and got drugged and tripped hard on LSD. Oh. So while he was tripping out of his mind while getting drugged, uh, that's where a lot of the thematic ideas behind the album came from. Interesting. Yeah. And he's also a very big uh, fan of British and Welsh folklore and mythology Uh so that's also where some of the lyrical ideology came from and he knew that the clientele which has always kind of been a cult band Uh um he always he kind of knew from early on that they were going to be a cult band and this is uh what something i pulled from an interview that i thought was a very intriguing quote from him uh he said i think the saddest thing in music is when you meet people who started out as friends, dreaming of forming a band and having a laugh together like the Beatles. Then they get signed by a major label and are told how they should sound, what they should wear, and who they should work with. And if that doesn't sell, they get dropped. They can't even console themselves that they made good music, but were unlucky, because the music that they made was embarrassing. Brutal. Yeah. Um, He's a big fan of Alan Gardner, who is another, like, who's a British... um, fiction writer who he he sees as a major inspiration mm-hmm. uh and someone at one point asked him you know like oh yeah i know like harry potter is great for like british fiction right and he said that uh the harry potter books are like oasis to alan gardner's Beatles. <laughs> so he's got opinions <laughs> he's got opinions he's got opinions um and then um one of the other quotes that he had that I thought was really fun uh, before we get into it is uh, the last tour of America we did. This is Alistair again, because he's the main one who um, does the interviews. Right. Uh, the last tour of America we did, we had a lot of fun and we realized that you don't have to be a pale, sad, miserable art rocker all your life. <laughs> so that's when they started to in, in include a little bit more uh, liveliness and energy into their, their sound. Right. So, what do you think of Bonfires on the Heath, Jared? Um, my honest opinion is that I was a little disappointed with this album. Okay. Um, Had you listened to this album before, or was this a, you like the band, hadn't listened? I, I might have, it, it might have played at some point in my life previously, mm-hmm. um, but I had never like sat down and listened to it. Okay. Um, and I... I like. I, I still th- am a fan of the clientele. I still think that this is a good overall album. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of the songs run together, and I think there that specifically it's because there's this one strumming pattern that's used on like three different tracks, and they're all yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all on the same album, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's the whole album's just kind of like yeah this is nice like this is inoffensive there's nothing that sticks out as being particularly bad it's just a little underwhelming yeah i I think it's a very pleasant listen yeah like it's very it's very nice and none of it's inoffensive or really makes you think that much either yeah which i think is an interesting 
choice for someone who obviously has a lot of inspiration from very heavy like mythology fiction you know all, all that stuff like it it's just nice to put on and listen to which i think you can tell as a band that was maybe thinking of breaking up that it's like yeah this is the kind of music right that's like not uninspired but just like maybe a little less inspired than than some of the earlier work that they may have done right i and the thing is like this is nice to listen to is kind of how I feel about the clientele in general. Mm. Um, like they're not a band that I'm like, Oh yeah, they're like super talented and like their musical concepts are like, so like beyond anything you've ever thought of before. Any, it's just okay. like, I like the clientele because like I can put on any clientele album and it will be fun. Like it hanging out with people and it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. No. Except for their first album because <laughs> everybody starts making, oh, it's kind of a mess. Well, it depends on the situation, you know, uh, yeah. And this album like hits the same way. It's just so much of it, uh, hits the same for me. Yeah. It really starts to run together. A lot of, uh, homogenous, ideas in, yeah. in the songs especially in the middle of the album this album's only 41 minutes but it, it feels a lot longer than that to get through just because you're hearing the same basic song basic sound basic ideas over and right. over and over again and when you do hear new ideas it is all within the same strumming pattern <laughs> yeah. and you're like okay cool they're doing that again it's like slightly bossa nova jazz right like, it's definitely like latin jazz inspired and that's mm-hmm. part of what i really enjoy about certain tracks on this album yeah um this album does have like really good tracks on it um but uh, they're uh, overall it all kind of yeah no for sure and i wish they leaned more heavily into that kind of bossa nova jazzy vibe that they have because i think those are the the best songs on the album personally yeah for sure um and i did i did write down like man i just feel like someone was listening to a lot of late era's beatles at while they were writing <laughs> putting this song together uh, a lot of george harrison's solo work as well i think like very heavily leaning into that because George Harrison was the main person pushing psychedelia right. um, within the Beatles at the time. Because he was the one who was, you know, when they did go to, he was the reason they went to India, met the Dalai Lama, and did all of that right. a lot more. And then he took spiritual. a sitar back, right? Yeah, exactly. And then he took a sitar back, and, and, you know, then the West was like, whoa, a sitar. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I also do appreciate their vocalization that they use. I, I feel like that's important to point out because yeah vocalization is something we have surprisingly talked a lot about liking or disliking yeah so far. no i i love alistair mclean's voice it's yeah. like uh yeah it's like whisper tones um and it's very like uh soothing yeah. to me it just it just sits there and it's just like yes let me take you on a journey right with with this music as we're going yeah yeah um yeah so let's get into it uh we're gonna start at the start because if you don't start at the start you don't start at all with i wonder who we are um i really like the horns in the intro yeah that's fantastic i like the horns in the outro too oh yeah the horns throughout the entire thing honestly i love Um, the horns yeah the the, like i said very bossa nova jazzy feeling intro Um, and a really, really high start to this album. Yeah, this um, is. I knew this song from this album. Uh, there was, um, I well, I bought their first album on vinyl 
from Merge Records. Okay. Um, and then got a uh like merge like sample cd where oh, it was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. yeah here's a bunch of music that we've randomly pulled from from albums that we've right. re- released uh and it's uh <laughs> josh is handing me my notes right now and knowing full well that i have nothing written down for this album yes uh <laughs> uh yeah, I and this song was on one of those compilation CDs that I got from Merge, uh, and this was not. A, I what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say I listened to this song a lot. Had never really listened to this album before, and I love this song, and that's why I put it on my list. the instrumentation and the vocalization and everything that they're doing on this entire track hits together so well yeah it's all very cohesive Mm -hmm. and it is so well layered it's really well produced and it's very staccato as well which is uh you know reading up on you know they're a band that was known for reverb to to hear this very slightly slightly reverb if any reverb whatever very very dancey too yeah very dancey also that bassist went so hard on this song oh yeah uh the bassist the bassist goes hard on a lot of tracks on this album uh i think i noticed it on this track more than other tracks this is the track that goes hardest in general right exactly um but yeah i i just wish this energy was more common on the album you know, like you yeah. have to wait so long to get to another song with this level of energy right. on it. Um, but yeah, no, a, a fantastic, fantastic intro. This is how you want to start an album. Mm-hmm. Like someone puts this album on, puts the CD in, puts the, the tape in, puts the needle on the record. And you're like, ooh, and you're like, ooh I'm ready. Yeah, let's go. Um, I guess do you want to talk about Bonfires on the Heath? Because I think that's a good... Um, overview for the majority of the rest yeah, of I was, the Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, we yeah. should talk about Bonfires on the Heath because, not because it's the title track, but because that's just the energy of most of this album. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a good song. It is a good song. Uh, I, too, have listened to late era Beatles and George Harrison and been like, oh, yes, this is good, good, good sounds. <laughs> what if I made those sounds myself? like the use of tremolo and reverb and the the space all of the instrumentation does take up yeah it, it swirls yeah i never really thought of the clientele or the, or uh, i i never really thought of them as psychedelic in in any real regard you know what i mean yeah. I, like i uh, it was something uh they're a different psychedelic for sure yeah i also like 
so much of the music that I listen to you could consider psychedelic that yes. like I'm kind of desensitized to it. Oh, 100%. It's like yeah. if, if I'm listening to something and it doesn't transport me somewhere else mentally, then why am I listening to it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, yeah. So psychedelia and or psychedelic in, inspired music is definitely like your wheelhouse. Right. And it has, has always been. So that uh, makes sense. Yeah. I, this, this, energy in this sound very much uh the, alistair has a, a another project uh called um amor de dias mm. uh and it's a super group that's a, a super duo uh it's him and uh someone from a band called pipas which i've never actually looked into never heard of them um but it's it's more uh like uh classical guitar like flamenco mm. like latin jazz kind of influence right um uh sort of folk music like it, it's yeah. it's very it, it's, i see what you're saying it hits the same kind of tone as a lot of this album does okay yeah uh but we're talking about this album all that to <laughs> say i what i appreciate about this band is they uh oh we're talking about harvest time no, we're talking about bonfires on the heath. No, I'm saying we're gonna talk about harvest. Oh, time. we're talking about harvest time. Okay, got you, got you. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching Josh pull up the next song. Yeah, peek that, behind <laughs> the curtain. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so this is this is actually a great segue because yeah, let's talk about harvest time. Um, I have a copy of Amor de Dios's first album, Street of the Love of Days, okay. and a harvest time is on that album. Oh. This is the second version I've heard. Right. Um, and I love them both. Right. I, I think that Harvest Time is another like highlight on this album, in my opinion. I think so, too. Um, I think the only reason I was like, we, we don't need to talk about it is because for me, it's like, ah, yes, more late era beat. Like, this is, and I think part of it is the uh, Tambora. The, yeah, the, for sure. Yeah. Um, it just feels very much, this this song specifically to me, feels very George Harrison, um, Eastern music right. inspired, um, especially with the, um, o- the ooing, yeah. um, that it does, uh, throughout the chorus. When, when we're, yeah. when we're done, well, when we take our break, I'll show you the other version yeah, of, of this song because, it. cause it's, uh, it's very strange cause it hits, it, it's the same energy, mm. um, but, but not tonally the same but hits different uh it hits different and it's much it's much more like you listen to it and it's like oh it is suddenly october in my brain (laughs) right yeah no and i i like this song as well because it this song i think does the best job of transporting you to a different space yeah and a different understanding of like what's happening and whatnot and especially that um way that after the bridge which we listened to the guitar with again heavy tremolo heavy reverb comes in and just uh picks through a, a chord progression i'm, I'm assuming or a, a chord mm-hmm. um with the vocals hitting with the um 
noise still kind of in the background. It, it, it does a really good job, but I think for me, it, this is when we start kind of hitting that rough middle section a little bit. Yeah, where I, I think rough is a little like uh, rough is aggressive. Yeah, rough, rough, is, rough, rough is a little aggressive. I think just rough if you're listening to this album through multiple times and you're just like, oh right. We're here again. This is the same I tempo. Think, this is the same energy as, as the think, rest of the I think the songs. middle of the album is just terminal velocity. Mm, <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> and and it just happens to be a very low terminal velocity. Yes. It's very it's a this album is low tempo and low distortion. And I do like that a lot. Yeah. Um I think Maybe if we'll talk about it later, but if the album that we were talking about later was a different vibe, mm-hmm. I might have vibed with this album a little bit more with the energy it had. But the right. fact that both albums we're talking about this week yeah. are lower energy, um, that may be detrimental to it uh, on on my uh, take on it. But uh, do you want to talk about another good one, or do you want to talk about one that I was? A little disappointed in. Let's let's look, go for disappointment. All I right. always shoot for disappointment. All right, there we go. Um, I'm disappointed in Sketch. Okay. The reason I'm disappointed in Sketch is that it is so short, mm-hmm. and it is the f- only time in the album that like it it goes. They have energy. They have it. It's something else, right? Um, and I I just wish it was longer. It's like a minute thirty or something like that. Yeah. Um. And I, I think another reason why I'm, I'm so disappointed on it is that like just just like one or two more songs that had this energy to it would have really helped the album out, in my opinion. It just the album would have been helped by two more songs that had this drive to it. Yeah, uh, not this. You know, it is it is one of the songs that is more up tempo and doesn't have the exact same uh, strumming pattern, right. which is nice. And I think that's also part of it is that like they I think they hit on something really cool there, and they just didn't do use it in any other, uh, any yeah. other way on the album. You know, and so I think that's why it's more of a disappointment than anything. Right. Um, I, I don't disagree with anything you, you've said about it. Like it, uh, I don't. I don't necessarily wish it was longer, because um, it kind of hits me as sort of something that they like. They had an idea and they took it as far as they could take it, mm. and they were like, "Well, what we can like." Tr- tr- try to expand this into like a larger song or a larger soundscape than it already has going for it and they just decided not to i can see that yeah um i could also see live this song going on a lot longer as well and being like a really like let's get the crowd into it let's get them going yeah type thing and i think the, the comment of i just wish it was longer is maybe like i just wish there was like more of it in on the album in general so it's like well this is the one bit you give me and it's so short i just want more of it right uh so maybe that's that's where that's coming from i i could certainly do with more up tempo more uh dancey songs on this album though to fill it out yeah yeah that is that is definitely uh, 
100% something I agree with. It's a slight downfall of the album, right. you'd say. Uh, Share the Night, let's talk about that one next. Because yeah. uh, this is where that kind of bossa nova, uh, same exact strum pattern comes back into play right. a little bit. Um, but you know what? I know it's a little cliche because it's the, the same exact strumming pattern as before, but I like it a yeah, lot. It, no, it's good. It's good. such a poetic way to talk about fucking <laughs> just like he didn't need to be that poetic about the it night with me um uh, yeah so the the this is like the only album the song on the album i pulled lyrics for that i feel like sharing it's a share the night with me now baby sleep the feathered uh feathered street the corpse the green now the zodiac moves and the calendars blur the buried always seek the earth yeah i <laughs> he just wants to fuck forever yeah, until you <laughs> die. <laughs> uh, yeah, the most polite way about trying to get somebody in bed with you, I think, is is a, is a good summary of like the clientele as a whole. You uh, know what? Yeah, that that's that. <laughs> Put that on the box. <laughs> uh, there's a. Uh, I, I almost chose this other album by then by them that mm. I've really only listened to one song from. Right. Uh, that's uh, oh fuck, it's called Bookstore Caf Bookstore fuck, it's called Bookstore Casanova. Fucking hell! Of course it is, <laughs> and it's it's literally just like <laughs> the lyrics are basically like we walked into the same bookstore. And uh, you're looking mighty fine. So, hey, you know who I am. You know who I know who you are. You like books. I like books. Here's my number. Maybe uh, let's fuck. Let's fuck. We, we, both know, we both know we like books. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and that's all you need. That's all you need. Uh, but it's, a, it's such a bop. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, most of their songs are bops uh, in, in general. Uh, I also really like... I th think this is the first song that like they really go into, like, let's have a guitar solo. Yeah, for um, sure. As well, which I think is also a really well done uh, solo bit. fits the groove so well it's, yeah it's a little frantic but not going too far it's not overly complex or anything like that right like it just it fits the mood so well on, on this song yeah um yeah this song is is uh like i was saying earlier that there are a handful of songs that share that strumming pattern mm -hmm. um and they're all good, like on their own. Like this song is is I, I wouldn't say just as good as uh, as um, uh, I wonder who we are, right? Uh, but it's it's up there. Like it's one of the better songs on oh, the yeah. album. It definitely and, is one of the better songs. Uh, subtracted from the album, not subtracted from the album, but but taken uh, alone apart from the album by itself, it's just a really good song. Yeah. But in the context of like 
okay, you all you this is an album where all of the best songs have this same sort of Latin infused like yeah, yeah. It, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why are we doing this? I do like the fact that it, you know, it does kind of break up a little bit more of the they do throw in, you know, sketch um and um share the night like they are thrown in in places to break up the monotony as best as they can. Mm. Um, and monotony, not in a bad way, but just in like a same same sound, same vibe, all all that stuff. Um, the next one I want to talk about, which is also the last one, I feel like we kind of need to touch on because mm-hmm. it, it it fills the repertoire of everything that's kind of uh, stylistically on the album is Graven Wood, which is a cover. I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, oh no, sorry. Yes, uh, Graven Wood is a cover of the very first clientele song. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, so they they just re-recorded Graven Wood, um, which was they called it a cover. They co- they said they covered their own work, right. but it's the first ever clientele song, which I think goes back to like 1991. Right, like it was one of those songs that they recorded and then just never really put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's also one other cover on on the album. Just before we get into it, uh, which is tonight. The song tonight is a cover from a not at all known Swedish band called uh, Evergreen Days. Okay. Yeah they 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 felt it was important to point out that it's a cover, so I thought it was important to point out that it's a cover. All right. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So Gravenwood, super psychedelic. It's a very fun take on a very familiar sound for the entire band. Mm-hmm. Um, it sets a mood and kind of invites you in. Uh, and just kind of wants you to, to hang out with it for a while, you know? Must be the the Wurlitzer going in the background mm-hmm. um, and the tambour, but like it just feels like it's dragging you somewhere. I think throughout yeah. the entire time, and I love how little lyrical content there is throughout the entire song as well. Right? It's I think it's the least amount of lyrics that they wrote for the entire album. Um, but yeah, uh, just just doing what they do on this album really well. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else you feel like we need to touch on or, um, you know, not really. Like that's, that's the thing is I, I feel like just with the songs we've covered, you kind of get a gist for the whole album. Yeah. If you, if you liked those songs, you're going to like the album. Right. Well, let's talk about some people who also liked the album a little bit. The yeah. reviews at the time. All right. So All the right. first review we got, uh, comes from all music. Uh, Tim Sendra gave it four stars. Uh, and the poll quote that I took was the clientele have always been autumnal. Mm, Wait, no. Autumnal? Autumnal? Like relating to autumn? Yeah. Autumnal. Autumnal, okay. The clientele have always been autumnal and very English, and on their fifth album, Bonfires on the Heath, they may have created the most perfect autumnal English pop record imaginable. The warmth it conveys is immense, along with the happiness it provides... The album also shows that the clientele continue to be one of the best pop bands around in the 2000s. All right. Um, I think that's that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's high praise. Yeah. Uh, the Guardian 
also reviewed it. Uh, Maddie Costa for them gave it four stars as well. Okay. Um, and the poll quote I took from their uh, review said, Concentrate, however, and it emerges that ghostliness and effervescence are among frontman Alistair McLean's chief preoccupations. His impressionistic imagery do- doesn't always justify his fondness for repeating himself. And chiefly, it's the wispy guitar and delicate piano surrounding these hushed tales of lost love and half-forgotten reminiscences that renders them mesmerizing. That's a that's a solid that's a, statement. That's a solid statement about about this album. Yeah. Um, and then Pitchfork also rated it. Uh, Jess Harville gave it a seven point four out of ten. Uh, and the poll quote I took from their review is: "The vibe of bonfires is strong enough to almost feel the leaves crunching underfoot and smell the smoke cutting through the growing chill in the air." An indie pop equivalent to Brian Eno's windswept and stone. Stone solid world building circa on land. It is not an album you can dance to, but is one you can live with and with alone. Oh, sorry. It is not an album you can dance to, but is one you can live with and which and with alone, which is rare enough to be applauded. That was a very strange sentence structure. Alone with which with comma alone comma which. Oh, one you can live with alone, which yada yada. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just it's just structured in a strange way. Okay, I gotcha. Because it's coming right after an and. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so basically, yeah, it's not an album that you can dance to, but it's one you can live in and with alone, which is rare, you know, uh, and rare enough to be applauded. So yeah, pretty, that's pretty accurate too. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Some pretty like yeah this this was pretty fucking good. But you know what? That doesn't fucking matter. Why doesn't it matter, Josh? It doesn't matter because we're giving the only rating that fucking matters in the entire goddamn world. That's right. And how many are we rating it out of today? Uh, we are rating this album out of 15. Out of 15. The official Tape Makers rating system. 15. Because we've already talked about 14 albums. This is the 15th. Right. I'll let you go first. You'll let me go first. Ah, oh, jeez. You know what? I'm going to give this a... This feels like... It. This feels like an 8 out of 15 to me. Yeah? Like, it's good. Um, I would put it on again. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever seek it out again outside of uh, I Wonder Who We Are, which is a certified bop. And a is, certified it, bop. Is already in some rotations. Right. Um, but outside that, I'm just like, yeah, I've if I need to seek out this style of, like, British pop, mm-hmm. this, like, kind of psychedelic, surrealist pop, like, there's other places I might go first. Mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna give it an 8 out of 15. Um, I was thinking 9 out of 15. Okay. Uh, okay. After giving it a thorough listen, I, I kind of want to buy a copy of it on vinyl. Um, just because, like, the... It's a good. I could see it as a good vinyl album for sure. Yeah. yeah, like it's something that like it'd be great to just come downstairs, make my coffee, and put it on, Ooh, yeah. and just like work on my fucking crossword because I'm a crotchety old man. Yeah, no, this is this is good. Uh, Saturday morning, woke up early, made a coffee in a bathrobe. Yeah, that's no for that, sure, and that that's one of the like um uh the vibes. Oh. That's one of the vibes that I go for when I when I talk <laughs> when about you go for it. That, yeah, when yeah. I when I talk about buying vinyl. Yeah, no. Uh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Cuz while this isn't an album I would sit and listen to front to back, 
it, it is an album that I wouldn't mind playing in my living room front right. to back. Yeah. Uh, because there's nothing, there are no songs that I would want to cut from this album. There's no song that I would want to skip on this album. Right. Um, For and sure. so I think that, I think a nine out of 15. You know what? Uh, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go with you on the journey to nine, to All nine right. out of 15. Uh, Cause it's I, a short journey. It is a short journey. Well, especially because it, before when you were like, Hey, what score do you want to give it? I was like, Oh, is this a seven an eight or a nine? And I don't know. So I guess <laughs> I'll go with an eight. But when you put it like that, like, yeah, it, it is a fantastic autumnal, uh, autumnal, autumnal. I'm so bad at that word, but learned, learned how to pronounce something correctly <laughs> for the first time. So that's nice. Cause it's one of those words that you never see pronounced here pronounced but i'll see you all right um so putting it in at uh nine out of 15 let's go over to the official list of all albums of all time and if i am doing my maths correctly having it at a nine out of 15 uh puts it right above the shape of color by intervals uh-huh. and right below razzmatazz by i don't know how but they found me and while you contemplate whether or not you think that is a good place, I'm going to double check my math. <laughs> uh, so. I There's a small part of me that kind of wants to bump it up. But, uh, there's well, a part of you that know. wants to bump it up? Nah, you know what? I think that's fine. If we bumped it down, it'd be between The Shape of Color and Destroyer's Rubies. Yeah. And I think that's the direction that we might want to be throwing it personally. Um, I 100% am going to listen to this album much more than I will listen to the shape of color. Yeah. And I know you well enough to say the same thing for you. Okay. But mm, mm, intervals is the a, only thing is the destroyers. We shouldn't be that low, but I uh, mean, you're, you're not wrong, but also, <laughs> um, I think that intervals is the, for the style and the genre that it is, it is a band. I'm going to listen to way more often than this album for the style and genre of the band. I think that's the only reason why I'm like, maybe, mm. it, maybe it, maybe it should stay above intervals. Hear me out oh, though. Or why it should go underneath intervals. Sorry. Yeah. I'll hear you out. The album art slaps. Ooh, the album art does slap. <laughs> but counterpoint, the shape of color is pretty good. Pretty for a prog metal. I like, can't even picture the album art right now. Exactly. That means it's good for prog metal. Nah, <laughs> nah I'm not taking it. It's, you know, sta- it's okay, staying where it's, it is. It's staying where it is. Okay, you know what? You know what? I'll take that. All right. I'll take that. Well, I'll, you have I'll to because we didn't agree, so. <sighs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... All right, there it goes. Uh, so it is currently number. It is currently number seven. Number uh, seven. It is the seventh best album of all time. Let me add that in super quick. And uh, as we do, we're going to run down uh, the current top five and the current bottom five of the uh, official list of all albums of all time. And so therefore it is the only album uh, list that matters. The best album of all time so far is Eon by Mimicking Birds. It's plural. It's Eons. You're right. That's how you spell Eons, right? E-A? No. E-O-N-S. E-O-N-S. Yeah, you're right. All right, the number one album of all time 
is Eons by Mimicking Birds. The second best album of all time is Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. The third best album of all time is Boarding House Reach by Jack White. Right below that is I Go Missing in My Sleep by Wilson at number four. And at number five, The Beautiful Game by Wolfpack. Her list is so fucked up. And now here's the, <laughs> I love it. And now here's the bottom five. The five albums that are pretty bad. It's the worst, one would say. And uh, Jared, you and I, our crusade is over. Our crusade is over. Blood Pressures by the Kills is no longer in the bottom five. Yeah, as of, as of the last episode, right? As of the last episode, it is no longer one of the fifth worst episodes of all or albums of all time. Thank goodness. It's now the sixth worst album <laughs> of all time. It does no, it's not the sixth worst. Oh, you're right. It's the it's, tenth best. It's the tenth best. Yeah, it's in the top ten. It's it's literally in the top ten. It, you're right. I'm sorry. It's in the top ten. But you know what's not? Number eleven. What's that? Which is Time is Everything by Vauxhall Broadcast. Indeed. Uh, right below that is As the Eternal Cowboy by Against Me. After that, we got Big Mess by Danny Elfman. Not as big of a mess as 10 by Pearl Jam. <laughs> Ayo! And not as 10 of a Pearl J- by <laughs> Hosier, baby. Wasteland, Wasteland baby. Jam. Wasteland, baby. <laughs> the worst album of all time by uh, the Irishman, Hosier. Uh, thank you all for your considerations and nominations. We're going to go take a quick break, and then we are going to get into 2017's most indie folk rock panic depression episode. The most Father John Misty album to come out in 2017. Pure Comedy by Father John Misty. Let's go. back jared that was, a, that was a very chill that was a very chill break yeah we got to listen to uh the the other version of harvest time which was a good time s- slaps yeah no it's a seek it out seek it out for sure all right you ready to get into this um if we're being perfectly honest which honestly we should be we should be uh i'm not okay <laughs> uh but we've we've put this episode off long enough we'll get into it it'll be all right all right. Uh, so what we are talking about is Pure Comedy by Father John Misty. Uh, it was released April 7th in 2017. It is the third album release of Father John Misty, but the 11th album released by Josh Tillman, which is the uh, pseudonym that uh, he... Father John Misty is his pseudonym that right. he uses. Uh, so he released eight albums under Jay Tillman or Josh Tillman, uh-huh. and then three under Father John Misty. Okay. Um, and this was released by Sub Pop. Okay, so signed to Sub Pop. All right, I'm gonna t- talk through everyone who was involved uh, on the album musically. So just buckle up. It's gonna be it's gonna be a hot second. Physically buckled. Yeah, f- buckle up. All right. So Josh Tillman, vocals, guitar, drums, percussion, etc. etc. On all tracks. Um, Jonathan Wilson did keyboards, 
keyboards, guitars, pianos, drums, percussion, backing vocals, vibraphone, and samples. Uh, Thomas Barlett did pianos and keyboards. Elijah Thompson did bass. Uh, Daniel Bailey did drums and percussion. Kifa Sianza did keyboards and samples. Kyle Flynn did electric guitar. Bob Bob Ludwig, which did mastering, and the only reason I bring him up is because he's the same person who mastered... um, 10 by Pearl Jam and Boarding House Reach. Wow. Dark White. Yeah. What do you know? So he's he's a go-to. He's a go-to for the big names. Indeed. Um, George Potts Young did a vis- additional vocals. Deontay Duckert did a vi- additional vocals. Ryan Stewart did additional vocals. Tiffany Cross did additional vocals. Vanessa Grundy did a vi- additional vocals. Uh, Siobhan Stewart did additional vocals. Um, Shanika... Burial did additional vocals. Celeste Young did additional vocals. Dominique Dubois did additional vocals. And all of those are on the fourth track. Greg uh, Letts did pedal steel and lap steel guitars. Kelsey Liu did uh, cello. And Gavin Bryars did vibraphone. Physically unbuckling. That's a lot of musicians. It's <laughs> a lot of musicians. Indeed. Who helped out. Um, so the reason why... Josh Tillman, Father John Misty, became as big as as he did. His, uh, originally, he was the drummer for F- Fleet Foxes. That's right. Uh, from, 2000 and, I believe, 2008 to 2011. Um, he was the drummer for them for Helpless Blues, which was their release in 2011, which is the one that like rocketed them to um, indie folk rock superstardom. Uh-huh. Um, he left Fleet Foxes because he had finally reached his dream of being in a popular band, and it didn't fulfill him. Damn. So he was like, I, I did the popular band thing, and it's not making me happy, so I'm going to go search happiness somewhere else. Um, he did all of his solo material um, before taking the stage name Father John Misty, and it was all a lot more down and dire than um what father john misty is and it was all just solo uh vocal and guitar work and then also hella content warning mm-hmm. for this section of the episode we're going to be talking about religious trauma ptsd depression anxiety um drug use probably drug use misogyny <laughs> those, those mis- tend to go with each other yeah. <laughs> uh, misogyny um destructive habits like all all that stuff so like before we get into it, if you don't feel like listening to the rest of the album or the rest of the episode for all those things, there will be a timestamp in the description about when you can skip to when we talk about what we think about the album at large, and then also um, when we talk about what we're doing next episode. So just getting that getting that out there for everyone. Um, yeah, so the reason why I bring that up is because he was rela- raised in a hyper-religious mm-hmm background he wasn't allowed to listen to what uh his parents called secular music yeah until he was 17 and then once he turned 17 the rule changed to where he could listen to secular music but only if his parents thought it was spiritual music so he was able when he was 17 to convince his parents that bob dylan was spiritual music so that was one of the first albums he got on his own um so yeah so he was in a basically a a hyper conservative religious um a cult is a strong word but it, it's cult-like behavior yeah where it's hyper um 
controlling of the media and aspects of society that you take in and controlling I mean all, all of that stuff which I the only difference between cults and conservative religions is that conservative religions hold political power so yeah um, <laughs> he before he wanted to become a musician he wanted to do, to become a pastor uh-huh the reason he wanted to become a pastor was because of the performative nature of it <laughs> um Oh, so we always kind of wanted to be on stage and wanted to be quick aside. There's yeah. this treat of an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. Um, right. And uh, if you uh, have experienced any sort of uh, religious trauma, specifically in the context of. Uh, why is my family so poor while the staff of the church that we attend have multiple boats and really nice clothes and a, a four-car garage? How is very that possible? Why is my family giving money to these people? You should, you should follow Preachers and Sneakers on Instagram. Yeah, so he, uh, he went to a hyper-conservative Christian university after he graduated, uh, left that within like a year and moved out to Seattle. He grew up in, um, I believe it was North Carolina. So he moved out to Seattle and started writing stuff by himself under the name Jay Tillman. Uh, and his parents didn't like it, so they disowned him. Damn. Yeah. Um, and well, so- hey, at least that's an easy <laughs> <help>. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not uh, funny, but also like, goddamn. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, uh, they they have since then reconciled their relationship, but that's good. not that's until nice. after this album even came out. Like they were still on rocky terms up until like 2017. Yeah, um, and he released his first work in like before 2008 type thing, you know. So like it had been a hot minute. Yeah, um, he stopped doing uh, the Jay Tillman stuff um, because he realized that when he was playing people weren't really paying attention to him when he was playing his music, but then in between the songs and he was just bantering with the crowd, that's Mm -hmm. when people started to pay attention to him. Interesting. And so he was like, okay, well people obviously don't want to listen to me be like self morose and sad. So I'm just going to create this stage character called father John Misty. And I'm going to release music that is, bigger and and more things going on and and happier sounding Mm -hmm. um and more of a more of a character and so that's where father john misty came from um and he said about it um that songwriting for me had always only been interesting and necessary because i saw it as a vehicle for truth but i had this realization that all i had really done with it was lick my wounds for years and years and become more and more isolated from people and experiences. I don't even like wound-looking music. I want to listen to someone rip their arm off and beat themselves with it. I don't believe that until now I've ever put anything at risk with my music. I was hell-bent on putting my preciousness at stake in order to find something worth singing about. Hmm. All right. So that's kind of where his mind was when he was like, okay gonna create father john misty gonna create something people are at least want to listen to and talk about and and connect to on a level that they weren't connecting to before because i've listened to i actually ass backward fell into father john misty because i had heard jay jay tillman stuff first interesting um and it's all very just 
a dude and an acoustic singing very morose, sad, slow uh-huh. stuff. And I really liked it personally, but I can see why that compared to especially uh, Fun Factory, which was uh, Father John Misty's first album, yeah. which is a lot more upbeat, a lot more interesting musicality going on and whatnot. Like right. the chain, I see why he felt like he had to make that uh, change. So pure comedy was mostly written in 2015. Mm-hmm. He saw it as more of a uh, macro I concept or like talking point on the world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because this is back when he thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president. So he thought a lot of the satirical, hyper um, critical lyrics that he was kind of writing down Mm -hmm. would be a lot less um, real type thing at the time. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. That sort of uh, puts the album in a bit different context. Right, yeah. So he he thought this was going to be a lot more satirical, a lot more macro concept of taking on entertainment and in the the music industry writ large, and then also, you know, taking the piss out of himself a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because after I Love You, Honey Bear, which was his second album as Father John Misty, he got massive. um, He did um, work with um beyonce and lady gaga with songwriting credits kind Mm -hmm. of seeing how the sausage gets made on like that kind of high level pop that we were talking about right um also worked with lana del rey which is like the the highest of highs when it comes to popularity among like in indie pop indie folk ish stuff so he did all that stuff and it just completely soured him on the music um yeah the, industry the industry yeah um he specifically like in multiple interviews talked about like how misogynistic the music industry is because he saw it on that end they're like all these feminists they don't they're not fucking feminists like <laughs> they could give two shits about who is singing this fucking song that they yeah. wrote for this person like there's nothing like nothing about even these feminist icons of like pop music are like not that at all because if the studio wanted they'd just be gone in like two seconds so like they don't have any real power they don't actually have any real power to to create change and whatnot um so this album had a lot of controversy around it Uh uh-huh because the first time any song from this album was played was in 2016. He only played 20 minutes of a 50 minute long set uh-huh. that he was supposed to play at a music festival in Maryland called exponential music fest, uh, where he spent seven minutes talking about the numbing role that entertainment plays in everyone's life and how s- stupidity just runs f- just fucking runs the world because entertainment is so stupid. Like the seven minute long rant about like uh-huh. the state of entertainment, how inter- like the entertainment industry is ruining the fucking world. Um, and then the live audience applauded him after he said that. And then he told them, no, don't clap. <laughs> don't clap. Um, he responded by saying, maybe just take a moment to be really fucking profoundly sad. And then he played Leaving L.A., which is the 13-minute long song on the album, Uh and then walked off the stage. Wow. Yeah. So that started, you know, some of the controversy. And then he was 
um, scheduled to play SNL. Uh-huh. And in SNL, he played Total Entertainment Forever, which starts off with the line, betting Taylor Swift every night inside the Oculus Rift. <laughs> And that was controversial because because right. this is around the time also when like the whole Kanye versus Taylor Swift like beef was happening. Yeah, that was a thing. I thought that was long before 2017, 2016. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. I'm thinking 2015. And I'm so I'm like, oh, 2013. That's probably when that happened. Anyways, at in general, people were very critical of Taylor Swift around that time because people are always critical of Taylor Swift. Right. So therefore people have to defend. Anyways, the fact that he's saying betting Taylor Swift was apparently very controversial at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and he was just like, I mean, bedding, not betting. Bed, yeah, so you got to specify B E D D I N G as in, uh, carnal relations. Yes. Um, and so in multiple interviews, he was just like, I mean, that's what I wrote down. So of course I'm going to sing it. Also, like, who else's name r- rhymes with Oculus Rift? And also, like, <laughs> you, d- what the fuck? Like, why the fuck is this a big deal? Like, like uh, also, uh, yeah, like uh, anybody. Look, uh, <laughs> look. I don't think that that lyric needs defense because if you are offended by that lyric, then you don't understand what it's saying. Yes. I like, and that sounds pretentious as fuck. And listen, we're going to get into lyrical content. We're going to get into my opinion of this album Uh and you'll understand what I'm saying when I say this now is that like, that's like, that is such a loaded lyric that to take it as, Oh, he said he wants to fuck Taylor Swift Every single and nothing day. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are completely missing the point. Yeah. No. Um, obviously, throughout this entire album, he's hypercritical of Christianity. Yeah. Um, because of his upbringing and because of the ills that he saw that Christianity have caused in an interview. Uh, he said, what a crazy coincidence that the teaching of Christ seems to be so compatible with late era capitalism, suburban isolation, rampant consumerism. And so I am not even surprised when I see evangelicals contort themselves to justify supporting Donald Trump. Um, also, you know, during all of this build up to it, he was talking about the difference between like, you know, in this album, you uh, really criticize entertainers a lot and aren't you yourself an entertainer you know like that kind of mm. stuff and one of the quotes that i i pulled in also just kind of like his absolute willingness to just torch any goodwill that he has um <laughs> well there's a difference between art and entertainment entertainment is really about forgetting about your life and art is about remembering your life sometimes remembering your life involves stronger emotions than nar- the narcotic glow of entertainment Jimmy Fallon isn't a fucking entertainer. What I've set out to do is more than just entertain. Wow. Yeah. Um, Also, this guy has talked openly about the fact that he microdoses LSD Mm -hmm. to help with his depression. And three different clinical psychologists have um, classified him as having severe PTSD. Mm hmm. Probably from his childhood of growing up in a, a hyper conservative right. um, world. Um, he also is very aware that he's a self destructive asshole. 
um, and he'll constantly criticize himself for everything he's ever done, mm-hmm. even in interviews. Like, there's a few interviews I read that's like, if you've ever talked to him before, like, you see the fact that he says words and then criticizes the fact that he said those words and then tries to analyze why he said the words that he said and then tries to make meaning out of it. I wonder if this stems from a specific... Uh... <laughs> specific upbringing maybe within the context of a of a of a given religion yeah n- n- no idea who knows I, w- I wonder if uh uh shame and self-loathing is rampant and inherent uh as part of a a certain uh evangelical christian uh white christian whoa, uh, whoa, upbringing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. i'm not trying to put a name on it here you know i'm just saying maybe i'm just saying maybe there's a sort of uh unchecked power that exists out there who could say? Maybe that's fucking up a bunch of children. Who could who could fucking say? Um, I think the only other note uh, ahead of time that I want to talk about is the fact that he wrote an 1,800-word essay about the album to explain it when it released. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Josh, when can we get to the album? No, we're, we're almost there. Have um, we hit 1,800 words yet? Yes, we definitely have. <laughs> I just feel like all of this is like kind of important to talk about the album. No, I, no I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah, like just context behind like what the fuck was going on with this, because this album is what the what the fuck a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that essay, he talked about how we have no control, and that chaos abounds, and ultimately the only thing we can trust is bears, because as he says... Bears eat when they are hungry, and progress is not being eaten by bears every day. Like, the only consistent thing you can trust in the world is humans' desires to not be eaten by bears and bears' desires to eat when they're hungry. Everything else, no one fucking knows. (laughs) You can't can't rely on anything or anyone else, but you can rely on bears. He seems burdened with an abundance of intelligence. He also seems burdened by, like, the state of the world in 2017 that those go hand in hand josh <laughs> <laughs> those, you, you, i i don't consider anybody who doesn't look at the state of the world and say wow shit's fucked anybody who doesn't uh have that reaction or doesn't open their eyes enough to have that reaction right. i don't consider to be an intelligent being no okay that's that's very yeah no this entire album is like god Fucking damn it! Another, th- an- another thing, another thing. Um, let's get into the album. Jer- I'll start. Um, I think this album is 2017 and all of it's good and all of it's bad. Okay. Um, I think there are some really intellectual things that are, are said here, and then I think there's a lot of self-loathing and a lot of just like there is no hope, there is no future. Why? Why the fuck would we even try to make things better in the world? Because mm. um, we were like. I was like a year into the Trump presidency and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, you don't even know what the fuck's coming, bud. No, you don't. But you're like, oh god, I don't know what's going to happen next, but also it probably won't be better. Um, I remember that I liked this album a lot more when it first came out than I do now. Okay. Um, And I think the reason why is because I was more in that mindset at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I also felt a lot more in that well there's no there's no fucking future here like there there's no there's a, there's a lack of hope to the album yeah, and exactly. that's kind of what yeah uh, and you know this is before i found socialism the, the magic cure 
the magic cure-all. It's a salve. You rub it on everything. Exactly. Um, but no, like, it, this was when I was, like, in the midst of, like, my hyper-deconstruction of, like, my, my Christian faith that yeah. I, I grew up in. Um, I had been done dirty by multiple different uh religious organizations uh would continue to do so but in a more i i caused my own downfall in a sense mm-hmm. later but this was like so you really related to this album is yeah, what you're saying when I it mean, first like, came out yeah yeah i was like up until up until like 2016 i was like still kind of holding on hope of like oh yeah no like organized christian religion can like kind of work and kind of be good for people mm-hmm. and then 2016 2017 happened and i was like nope nope never nope, mind never never <laughs> Uh, so then, like, you kind of have to reimagine what a existence looks like for you at the yeah. at, at that point. So this kind of hit in in the midst of that, like, deep, dark, like, well, I don't actually know. I, I think I have an idea, but I'm not going to think too hard about it mm-hmm. type thing. Um, I, I think there's some really well-written songs, and then I think some of them kind of lack a direction. At, at some points. Okay. So those are kind of like my, my initial thoughts. What do you, what do you feel? Well, so honestly, I thought that it, this was going to be like, you were, you were going to be like, this is a perfect album. Like everything about this album is amazing. And I was going to sit here going, well, I don't think that's true. Uh, so, so I'm glad to hear that it's not going to go that way. Yeah, no, it's not. I, I like low-key have kind of been dreading this just because, like, I, I, I knew that I knew that this album meant a lot to you. Yes, it, it still does. Yeah. Um, I, my my overall opinion of this album, um, I think is that it's chock full of really good ideas that are not yeah my overall opinion of this album is that it's chock full of ideas that are really good like like worth like deep intellectual conversation about um but that are not communicated in uh a a a neither uh efficient or uh I guess entered. I guess we'll we should talk about entertainment as part of this album yeah, no, because sure. I feel like this album lacks, and maybe intentionally so, but, but I feel like it lacks a certain level of entertainment to it. Yes, no, I I, I agree with you, and I think a lot of it is um, he focuses on, and I think this is intentional, mm-hmm. um, creating just like kind of a lot of very basic sounding musical backing for everything yeah and a lot of it is like you know if you dig into it like oh they they did a really interesting way of building from here to here and the way that they uh mic the instruments on this thing and choosing which takes of which things to do like they did a a very competent job of building like a, a a pop indie folk backing for everything for the lyrics which are absolutely like the focus of this album yeah no this I I don't think a lyric like a, a a set song structure fully repeats. Like I don't think any choruses fully repeat. I think he changes li- like lyrics on every single song, even within the choruses. Right. I, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like th- this was him kind of writing, not writing his manifesto, 
but in a sense of just here's all of my thoughts oh, on yeah. the state of the world. Absolutely. Listening listening to this album, it's like, okay, this guy wrote an entire fucking book's worth of like material, even if he didn't physically write it down. Like right. he's he has so many thoughts that he parsed through to to assemble the lyrics that yeah. he did for this album. Um, which is incredible to me and it is the most impressive part of this album. Yeah. However, it kind of falls apart uh, in mm. a lot of respects for me. Um, I mean, let's uh, lyrical content is probably going to be a lot of the focus of what we're talking about. Yes, it, um, it, it definitely will be. Um, do you have anything you want to kind of say o- overall about the um, music that that it is? It's it's there. Yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about most of the album is that it's there. Uh, most of the music in the album that is, um, there, there's very little, there are very few points in the album that I'm like, the music is actually contributing to the theme and it is, Mm. is actually contributing to like the overall emotive, uh, uh, um, goal of what's happening. Right. Um, for the most part, it's just like, yeah, this is music that exists so that he can say the words that are in his head. Right. And I think that they try to have some thematic following along with the um, lyrics or they use the them- the musical theme to contradict what the lyrics are saying. So I think they, they try to do some stuff there, mm-hmm. but it is so kind of by the numbers, not in a bad way, but just in like, a as, as we said, it's their way. Right. Um, none of it's bad. No, none of it's bad. It's It's very competently professionally put together yeah Um, and some some of it is interesting but not like interesting enough to to stand out among the yeah yeah no for sure this album also just kind of feels like therapy for him a little bit i was also going to say this definitely strikes me in the same way as uh bo burnham's inside and Mm -hmm. big mess by danny elfman Mm -hmm. where it's like this is before, I mean, both of those are pandemic releases, obviously. Yeah, but before the but, pandemic. But, but pre-pandemic, like, this is this is an artist who's like, I am going to use this art to make myself feel better. <laughs> and whether or not people can relate to that, that, like, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah, no, for sure. It's I definitely think it's a very divisive album. Mm-hmm. Um, you either understand where he is at on an emotional and and intellectual level and somewhat spiritual level. Right. Um, and you're like, okay, I I see what you're going for or you're not. And you're just like, what the fuck is any of this shit? Why, why would I spend my time doing this? And, and see, I think this is where it loses me is that, um, like the, uh, emotive content, the, the emotional content that he's trying to convey and the intellectual content that he's trying to to convey, um, is all very palpable and is all very present and very much there for me. Um, but there isn't a uh, musical, like overall artistic framework that puts me in that same right. spot. Like I, I listen to it and go, oh yes, I agree with that. Or, oh yes, I have experienced that. Or, oh yes, I not like I also want to talk, fuck Taylor Swift in the <laughs> Oculus Rift every night, but like he's saying that to imply this myriad of other things that are happening yeah. in the world today. No, for and, sure. And those are all things that I see happening and that I relate to on whatever varying degree. Um, but the... But, as a work of musical art, it doesn't 
it doesn't put me in the mindset or in the emotional right. space to to say I feel this right now. Right. Yeah. And I, I wonder. We we can get into the song after this because we've been talking for like half an hour at least just about the album as a whole. Yeah, just about the concept of this album. Um, but I think the the whole focus behind this was that duality of very basic musical structure, mm-hmm. very intense lyrical structure mm-hmm. and and showing that like all of this entertainment that you have it's it'll still be there whether or not the person is singing you know about what he's singing about here or the most banal shit mm-hmm. that you you could think of and it, yeah I, I think it does lose direction a little bit um and yeah we'll get in we'll get into it as we get into the songs uh so we're going to start with pure comedy the uh title track also, um, maybe the best. Maybe song the best the Definitely, the best songs are in the beginning of the album. I think. Oh, for hunch certain. Yeah. Um. But yeah, pure comedy. It, it's a song that like slightly has this like oh, fake hopefulness at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and then it just slides into this cynical faux happiness. Um. It, the beginning reminds me of uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or or uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, there's a song. It's a musical, and there's a song in it uh, called "The Origin of Love," mm. um, and it's very very similar in in uh, theme and like uh, just like the idea of like how humanity uh, how humanity started and why we act the way we do. Mm. Okay, interesting, interesting. And some all powerful being endowed this horror show with meaning. All their religions are the best. They worship themselves, yet they're totally obsessed. It starts with this whole build up of the the start of humankind and like well i guess we'll let the men go out and and hunt and kill for us like what's the worst thing that could happen and then the entire song transitions into a criticism of the hyper dogmatic creating idols and gods out of anything that american christianity and and the human race has consistently done right. in general which i think is a very smart um thematic connection right as well um uh, I, this is how you use blunt lyricism. Like this, this is, uh, I'm sure from now on in the podcast, something that I'm going to point to as like, this is how you talk. Like, this is how you use lyrics in a song in a blunt manner where you aren't really leaving much room for metaphor. Right. You aren't leaving much room for, for imagery or anything like that. It's, it's there's not a whole lot of interpretation going on. With exactly. These lyrics, yeah. Um, there you're making a lot of plain statements about the things that you're saying. And the, the thing is like the statements themselves still have to be engaging. They can't just rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, for sure. Um, the one that I, uh, picked out that I thought was just like right on the nose, um, was, and they get terribly upset when you question their sacred texts written by women hating epileptics. Yeah. Just, um, just, you, you, there's no question about what he's talking about. There. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> there's no mincing of words here. Uh, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate that because that's like, it's a lot harder f- to find 
good blunt lyrics in my opinion like that and also this entire song is like kind of built in like a modern day worship style um Mm. with the the building of like focus on the keys and the building of the voices in the background and a little bit of the like you vocalize between uh the one verse and and one verse type thing um but except it's in it's in minor in, instead of in major uh-huh um and also something i really like is that he builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and then completely drops away for the bridge which is again another like hallmark of like modern day evangelical mm-hmm. worship music so they can go on being godless animals uses um, traditionally religious um, song structure and, and ideas throughout the entire album as well as as riffs or ideas or inspirations mm-hmm. um, which I think kind of goes into this whole idea of of what we talked about earlier of the uh, separation between the musical stylings and and the lyrical uh, content yeah as well um, I, I just think it's a fantastic start to the album. Another, another, another top tier start to an album. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> very much in the same vein of uh, of Bonfires on the Heath, where it started out r- real strong, came yeah. out swinging, and then just sort of goes more. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it goes straight into Total Entertainment Forever, which is the song we were talking about earlier, where it starts off by saying, "Betting Taylor Swift every night inside the Oculus Rift." Well, um, and then it talks, the entire song is about like, um, oh yeah, well, Mr. and the Mrs. uh, finished dinner in the dishes. Like the entire song is about the idea of this disconnected reality that, uh, entertainment is, is building for us. Yeah. And that we are, uh, living within. It's so happy and poppy. Mm Mm-hmm. The entire time also, like, it just sounds like, yeah, this is what you would hear on the radio type thing, but, um the the way that he um integrates disconnected um the disconnected lives that we have because of all of these advancements in technology which are explicitly supposed to make us more connected exactly yeah it's uh it's really well done yeah uh, with that dichotomy again um, that he uses I said nightmare, but now if you didn't catch it the first time, you'll never hear it again. <laughs> um, I think it's also a very good um, usage of the, the entire theme that he's he's going for on this entire song. Um, lyrics I pulled out that I liked a lot um, was, it's like the images have all become real and someone is living my life out for me out um, in the mirror. Just like, yeah, yeah just... And then the ending, um, all of that very poppy, happy, um, horn-laden sound just falls away, and it's just him on his acoustic talking about how when future generations find us with all of this technology on our heads because we're going to die like this, (laughs) they're going to be like, wow, what great lives they had. (laughs) Like how we look at um, 
old um, antiquities mm-hmm. and where they're like, wow, look at, look at all that beautiful stuff that they had. And wow, this is like a bowl from like 1300 BC and it's so rough and it's so, you know, like technology and evolution is always going to happen no matter where humanity was, is now or will be in the future. But also it's not going to like actually lead us to anything right type thing um yeah, yeah. i uh, one of the themes that i really appreciate in this album is just the the idea that like you know we we put so much stock and we put we spend so much time um experiencing life through screens um experiencing life uh, in, instead of on an interpersonal level instead of uh, trying instead of like growing food so that we may eat so that we may not die. Right. <laughs> we go to work and make someone else money and, and then spend- get like a very small cut of that money so that we can buy food from somebody who's selling it to us to make money, who bought it from somebody who sold it to them to make money, who, mm-hmm barely paid a whole bunch of people to grow it on land that is rotting away. Right. And like that, that we are so far removed from uh, what well, that bear that he's talking about. Right. Yeah. That, that we're so far removed from what the human experience is actually like the, the, the farther we dig ourselves into this technological trench, yeah. the farther we dig ourselves into these, this industrial landscape that we've created that like, this is not the way that we are supposed to experience life. Um, that's something that right. is, is touched on in uh, in Inside by Bo Burnham too. Mm, yeah, um, not nearly as much as I would have liked. Uh, the, yeah, it, I don't know. It's 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 incredible because nothing like this has ever happened in the history of humanity. Like people. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Like we up until about the last what what would you say like thirty years. Humanity has been experienced on hyper-local levels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then the internet happened, and now we are an interconnected... All of our friends are a screen away, but if all of our friends are a screen away, does that actually still count as friendship and and connection and interpersonal relationship? And where where can the the good in that that does exist you know right. us being more interconnected learning more about the the plights and the good and the bad of of the rest of the world and 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 the strive for progress and the strive for a better humanity for everyone in the world but also like then companies decide that they want to make billions of dollars off of you. Right. See, that that's screen. the problem yeah. is that the the issue is not the technology itself like being uh, being able to reach someone at the drop of a hat for for any anything as silly as like hey I like uh, stepped on a rock today and then it went into my shoe and then I took it out of my shoe and then that reminded me of the time that you took a rock out of your shoe and I'm just happy that you know yeah I'm happy to know you uh, right. like it's it, going from that to um, you know corporations who are spending millions of dollars to make a profile of who is using their products and how they are able to get their products, whatever those may be, the, mm-hmm. into the faces of more and more people. like, And using that, and the issue is that the product that they sell is the information about you to other people. 
And so right. they need you to interact with their Inter- other product yeah. that gets their real product from you yeah. as much as possible. And they've exploited I mean, I'm sure that there are more things to be exploited, but it feels like they've exploited every single resource at their disposal (laughs) Mm -hmm. to try and keep you looking at your screen, to try and keep you clicking on click-through links, to try and keep you scrolling endlessly. The the desire that these corporations and the entertainment industry writ large have to always keep your attention, to, to never let you disconnect from that moment that he talks about here right uh they're like you're you're every single night you're in the oculus rift doing whatever the fuck you want and the oculus rift is a a fantastic pull because it is this magical promise of vr right that you can go anywhere you want that you can be in in any world you want that you can you can live and exist within these video games you can finally experience the life that you think you're supposed to experience while while your your mom and dad are downstairs just having dinner together and and that's what you're deciding to do with your life is is living this absolute fantasy world escaping from the the reality that you're experiencing mm-hmm. on a, on a day-to-day because you just don't want to do it anymore yeah. and there's something so in, inherently like evil about the idea of trying to design products that take people away from their everyday experience yeah it's it's accelerating that separation from like normal actual humanity yeah um well all of that to say um the next i just let's just let's just keep going because uh these things would have been helpful to know before the revolution they're good lyrics really good lyrics i really like the um i don't know if it's just a double hit snare or a delayed snare oh on it's the drums. definitely a delayed snare you can hear it on the hi-hat too okay yeah so i really like the delay on the drums yeah uh throughout the entire song um it it just sets a mood of like some this is not normal this is not right this is not what you're you're supposed to like uh, also interestingly enough the snare is panned to the right and then the echo hits in the middle yeah uh which is uh, kind of the opposite of how anybody would uh pan a delayed snare <laughs> right no for sure um yeah no i i think this is a a song that does a really good job of kind of talking about stuff while the the musicality is trying to reference a thing but still staying within that very easy to uh digest um sensibilities yeah Ice flows began to freeze. So I'm really glad you decided to play that clip. Uh, yeah, talk to me about it. Um, so, like this, uh, ice flows. Uh, this is. Because I've referenced this a lot without giving any concrete examples, but this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about brute forcing lyrics. Mm. Um, If you say ice flows in conversation, the emphasis is on the word ice. Yes. Uh, 
And in the context of the song, the way he says it, ice has to happen so quickly that the emphasis sort of changes over to flows. Yeah. And like I'm getting nitty gritty about this real no, quick, just sure, because yeah. like this the this is the first time that we've had like a solid example that I can be like yeah, this yeah, is yeah, what yeah. it looks like when you brute force lyrics. Also, get into the nitty gritty on the lyrics because that's what this album is about. Right. You're good. Um, and, and yeah, of course, like this is the other thing is that this album this album was written for the lyrics, and then you know, I got like you can't write a full album for the, just the lyrics, and then have lyrics that aren't fucking phenomenal. Right. Um, and then on top of that, you've also got the sound of the from ice and the f- from flows sf- 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 happening really quickly. Right. Ice flows. Ice yes. flows. I- and it happens v- so fast. There's, there's such an awkward combination of sounds that has to happen very quickly. And the emphasis is changing from what is sort of accepted as a more like normal, correct yeah. way, normal, normal way to emphasize the two syllables in this. Uh, we'll call it one word, even though it's kind of two words. This is the type of thing that it, when I'm writing lyrics, I would write that down and then I would underline it. Because it would be something that I would go back later and change. Right. Because I would put it down so that I could say, this is the idea that I'm trying to communicate, and underline it and say, this is the idea that I'm trying to communicate, but it doesn't work phonetically, it doesn't work rhythmically, it doesn't, I don't like the words that I chose, whatever. Right. Um like and uh, yeah i would go back and either change the words or change the rhythm or the inflection with which i'm singing those words mm-hmm. um there's a lot of stuff like that that's kind of sprinkled throughout this album for me yeah that's fair um where it's like you know you have this album where clearly the focus is on the lyric lyrical content um but a good portion of it is just not there right it's it's just like so close, but not. He more wanted to say what he wrote down, yeah. More so than make it work um, within the the context of what he's singing and what he's. Which playing. is part of what can, contributes to my thought that it's sort of like, yeah, this is therapy for him. This is him going. I have so many thoughts, and I need to put them out there for other people to hear, mm-hmm. even if they're not in their ideal state. Yeah, or even if it's not something that other people can or will relate to. No, for sure, and I. I I think he was trying in that sense to talk about like the revolution will happen. And then all of these things that, you know, the destruction of humanity, the destruction of the earth are going to start to, to go backwards. And that's the only way he could like, cause it's, you know, ice flows begin to freeze, like going back to the idea of like, yeah, the, the no, ice caps are melting and he's, he's like, no, no it's, it's literally still, like yeah. four or five words to that, that, in, that in, in their entirety convey mm-hmm. like, previously ice started to melt now freezing again yeah and it and like it's conceptually yes yeah and i i just think he didn't do enough workshopping to try to figure out a different way to say those things yeah. or he couldn't find a way to say those things but didn't feel the conviction to find another example to pull from enough so he's like well this is good enough i guess right um which with the amount of words that he writes down i think i'm willing to give him like a slight pass on that See, I but, I write songs. No, I write lyrics, sure, yeah. uh, and like I've written wordy songs in the past, and right. I know what it's like. And I I just like uh, when it comes to lyricism, I just have really fucking high standards. No, you're good. You're good. Um, I also really like the fact that 
during the the full song up until the the clip that we listened to this is like sense of foreboding which we've talked about in in um artists before where they'll write a song that sounds like there's something bad about to happen or a a, a feeling of movement about to happen but then they never actually get to it yeah but they actually get here during the bridge like yeah the, the horns hit everything hits his, his vocals get way blown out and way bigger the drums get massive like i appreciate the fact that this is them doing it in a way that i think it works well especially within the context of a a song about like things that would have been nice to know before the revolution started to right my my favorite lyric i i didn't have time to write it down um i didn't have time i I couldn't be bothered to write it down (laughs) (laughs) um i but there's a line and I feel like this one line encapsulates sort of like the whole overall theme for this song to me. There, It's something along the lines of we get uncomfortable now and then because we're not constantly pelted with ads. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and that that's like the... Would have been nice to know that before we committed the revolution. Committed right. the revolution before yeah. we participated in... Yeah, before it happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Um, the, the lyrical content that I pulled out is at the very end. Like after the revolution happened and things started to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's talking about like, um, you know, there's, there's this like group, there's still groups of people and it's like fine and whatnot. It's like, um, though I'll admit some degree of resentment for the sudden lack of convenience around here, but there are some visionaries among us developing some products to aid us in our struggle to survive. That's right. So that, that's the line that's like, that's the line that makes me go, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> right. he's like, yeah, we, we like underwent this revolution and we've drastically changed uh, the, the face of human, like... Uh, 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 the way that humanity interacts the way we, with the, the world. The way we experience life yeah. uh, to, to a more uh, uh, real <sighs> understanding of what's happening around us mm-hmm. in, a more, in a more properly connected way. Yeah. And... Surprise, surprise, people are going to start selling each other shit. Like, not just commerce, but just like, hey, wouldn't your life be so much easier if you just had this little convenience here? The first visionary was the person who created the wheel. (laughs) Right. Like, wait, you you carry shit? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Look at this guy. No, guys, come here. Come here. This guy fucking carries shit. Let me. me, You know what a barrow is? You know what a barrow is? You ever slap a fucking wheel on it? This bad boy can haul so much anything. God damn. Slaps top of wheelbarrow. Exactly. Like, but like, this is where his like intense cynicism of the entire world idea of progress and the world comes in really heavily as well because he's just like yeah even if we make this revolution happen even if we fix all the problems in the entire world after that there will be people doing the same shit that they are doing now that is causing us want to have a revolution right like just this is where just like the the most amount of like cynical view on on there there is no permanent fix it's 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 a constant it's a constant struggle against our innate desire to be uh as lazy as fucking possible yeah um do you want to talk about anything before we hit leaving la which is like a song we have to talk about I, i feel like on this album um I don't have any stars until leaving LA. Okay. Uh, um, the only other thing I just want to kind of touch on, we don't have to talk about too long. Mm-hmm. 
um, is Ballad of the Dying Man, which, yes, I want to I want to tu- touch on the first four songs. because I think those are the four best songs on the oh, album. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, but it's a, it's just a song about um, people thinking that, like, they are the smartest person in the room until they die. And then they realize, shit, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about <laughs> or anything. Um, also, this is like the first um, big use of his falsetto. Yeah, as well. And he likes to use his falsetto to to create, at least in this album, to create this idea of peacefulness, happiness, a a self-inflated egocism, I think, as Mm -hmm. well. Um, And I think it's a it's really well used on this song um, as well. My I actually I'm glad you brought this song up because I forgot that this might be my favorite lyric that that I was able to pull. Okay. Uh, Yeah. What What do you got? It's uh. Eventually, the dying man takes his final breath, but first checks his news feed to see what he's about to miss. It's so good. Uh, that might be the best lyric in this album to me. Yeah. Um, and also, like, this, like, over-reliance that so many people have on, like, their self-importance. Right. As well. Um, and it also talks about, like, he never saw the coming end days like he he thought he was going to, like, the uh, or the uh, coming kingdom like the very Christian ideology of like, well, if I'm just a good enough person and I do enough good <laughs> things and, and criticize the correct people, then eventually like God's kingdom will come on earth. Um, but it didn't happen. And I'm about to die. What's happening here? What? I didn't get raptured. What? What? I voted Republican my whole life. All who will critique them. also kind of pulls a little bit from um historically kind of like gospely stuff as well mm-hmm. i feel or at least more um hit uh, um church hymns mm-hmm. as well um which just the way that it um the way the piano is hitting the way that the vocalization and and backing vocalists come in especially at the end um after all the lyrics are done mm-hmm. um that's where all of the additional vocalists come that we listed right. earlier. This is the track. So this like large choral singing at the very end of this idea of this, this man being transported into whatever the, the beyond is mm-hmm. and the last moments of his life were t- talking about like, man, no one's going to um, criticize people the way that I did and wait <laughs> I'm at, and um, another thing that I really, as you said, like he realizes that he's is clueless leaving as he is when he came in, you know, mm-hmm. um, so good. And then what I really liked was just think of all the overrated hacks running, running amok and all of the pretentious ignorance voices that'll go unchecked. The homophobes, <laughs> hipsters and one percent, the false feminists he managed to detect. Oh, who will critique them once he's left? Just like this idea of like if I if I'm not able to call out these people, who will the the self importance of yeah, it? Yeah, the self importance of it. And it's like it's in equal parts like very true because there are some minds and voices that would have been great to have around in today's climate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, historically, who who would have been great at you know pointing out all of these false um, dichotomies and and. Uh, 
ways that people are talking about humanity, but also like but to whom? But to whom? And also, it doesn't <laughs> matter because like we're all going to die at some point. Even the greatest thinkers of of all of us. And do you really think you're that important? I think that's. Right. Uh, just well, speaking well done, of yeah. self-importance, oh, God, why don't we yeah. talk about leaving L.A.? Uh, 13-minute-long rant? Question mark about the state of entertainment, his role in it, and the desire for a better future? Conceptually, I can understand why this decision was made. Mm. But I'm not here... <sighs> Look, this is all I have written down for this song. Yeah. These could be the greatest lyrics of all time, but I'm not sitting through 13 minutes of the same six chords on a loop with some string accompaniment and a single voice. I will just read the lyrics. This is very self-indulgent. Yes. Um, And also, I think this is the song that obviously, you know, it's a 13 minute long song. The first part of the um, album more so focuses on critiquing the culture, the um, entertainment industry, art in general, mm-hmm. the state of the world. After this, he more focuses on critiquing himself as a as a human and an artist. Um, and so, I think in this song, he does the first four or five out of the ten mm-hmm. um, verses do focus more on the entertainment industry, LA in general, and then he switches over to critiquing him himself and his role in all of it. So, I think this is a important song in in that sense apparently it took him three years to write because he knew he wanted to do something like like not that he wanted to do this specifically but like he had the first verse down Mm -hmm. because it's it's a it's a self-biographical in some sense because he did leave la and move down to new orleans with his his family Mm -hmm. for a bit because he was just over the la entertainment scene right so he had the first verse down and he knew he wanted to do something with it and it took him three years to write all the lyrics and, and come up with the idea. Um, I, I like how simple it is. I, I think you're either committed to listening to the lyrics or not. And that, that'll, that'll see That's the other, like it, 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 it's not just like, like I said, these could be the greatest lyrics of all time. It's not going to redeem 13 minutes of the same thing over and over and right. over again to me. And like I understand conceptually it's like fuck entertainment. Like this is it's fine it didn't get recorded. Okay. <laughs> uh like I get it. Fuck entertainment. This is an entertainment. This is art. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> like however he wants to try to justify it, but the yeah. thing is like at the end of the day, you want people to listen to what you're saying, and I'm not interested in what you're saying if you're not going to present it in a way that's interesting. Right. And he even talks about that in in the song. Like, he talks about the fact that, like, one of the verses are just like, I have somehow become, like, the siren song of um, col- horny college kids and, and virgins, and I know for a fact that after they hear the song, they're going to say, the fuck? You, he wrote a... F- 10 verse song that's 13 minutes long what the fuck is this guy about i'm not about it anymore and he like he's he's very aware the bullshit that he's playing i i i think part of what drives me crazy about it too is that there's so much unnecessary empty space in it that's fair like it's i I, I can get behind it's literally like five or six words gap in time five or six words to finish the, the the thought of the first five or six words right gap in time five or six words to set up the next five or six words gap in time strange thing is 
That's pretty much what I thought when I started this It took me my whole life to learn to play the G The role of Oedipus was a total... That clip that we played, that's the entire song, basically. Yeah. The, the um, strings do a little bit more, a little bit less every now and then, but that's that's about it. Um, so I, I, I totally get it. I, I think I am just more committed to being like, yeah, all right, this is a 13-minute long this. Sure, let's go on the ride. And, right. and you, you're either committed to the idea of it or you're not, and both are very valid ways to look at the yeah, song. Yeah, and... <laughs> Look, the thing is, like, I'm glad uh, I literally I literally listened to the song one time. Oh yeah, no, that's fair. I'm I might look up the lyrics again at some point in the future. I am never going to listen to the song in its entirety ever again. And like, again, conceptually, it makes sense why he did it. It's a middle finger simultaneously to the listeners and to himself and to the music industry yeah. and to Taylor Swift and to, like it, <laughs> middle it's, fingers everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. It, like, I get it, but we review albums and when 13 minutes out of your hour and 14 or so minute yeah. album yeah. is, basically a one minute song 13 times in a row it is tough it is tough you're not wrong it's it is hard to go through um and i'm not trying to go through it more than once i'm probably never going to listen to this song again (laughs) that's fair um just some of the um lyrics that i wanted to pull real quick that i thought were um of note of note uh still i dreamt of garnering all rave reviews just believably a little north of God's own truth. He's a national treasure now, and here's the proof in the form of his major label debut. A little less human with each release, closing the gap between the mask and me. Yeah, like, the lyrics are good. Like, I... I, uh, Just, like, the lyrics couldn't ever be good enough to justify the existence of this track to me. No, for sure. The Um, the concept makes it easier to digest, but it doesn't, it it still doesn't justify it. No, for sure. Um, The only other, the the only other thing I want to talk about is there's a, there's a verse in there um, that is kind of the start of his hyper cynical worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about, it's the verse talking about how he found out that the comedy exists because he, um, which is a true story of, uh, him choking on a watermelon hard candy in a department store while his emotionally distant mom for the first time in her life showed him love and compassion while he was sitting there dying saying, someone please help my son while Fleetwood Mac's sweet little lies was on the, Oh fuck. Yeah. Um, and so the quote that he, um, said for that was, um, yeah. So he said, um, that that's his first, um, memory of music. Wow. And that every single time he hears that song, that's exactly what he thinks of. And that's where the idea of like, if this is what's happening right now, that like this love that I have been searching for my entire life up until I was six is finally here while I am dying and it is singing lies, lies, tell me sweet little white lies. 
Like, what? if that's not comedy, <sighs> what, what the fuck is it? <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Um, which, like, I, I think that specific verse for me is what, like, saves it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For for me, is something that I, I feel like is worth listening to um, at least once all the way through, and then if after that, looking up the lyrics to like just kind of recap what the fuck he just went through a little right. bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, um, I don't. I, I like. I honestly like I took my notes on that song. I got less than halfway through it and said, "Okay, I'm not listening all the way through this song again." Oh yeah, no, you're totally fine. Uh, yeah. And then and then I took a break, and then suddenly Jake was here to track uh, to track music. So. Sweet. Okay, cool. So I'm out of notes for the rest of this album. Now you're good. Um, the ones that I'll I'll want to talk about, which is it's only two more um, that I feel like are worth talking about because the rest of it is kind of like about his toxic destructive personal behavior right um is when the god of love returns there'll be hell to pay very gospel inspired Mm -hmm. very um it's a song about the state of humanity and the bullshit that he feels with the idea of like a christian god specifically Mm -hmm. where he's like oh god you're here at the end days cool well let me show you what the fuck uh humanity did while you were away (laughs) you ready let's let's go on a little tour yeah let's see let's see what your uh your precious little offspring have done while you were out yeah and it's just like poop smeared all over the walls yeah the tv Uh, is off the stand and on the ground in several pieces yeah, uh, the the lyric that I pulled was, oh, it's hu- just human, human nature. Uh, we got these appetites to serve. You must not know the first thing about human beings. We're the Earth's most soulful predator. Try something less ambition next time you you get bored. Oh, my Lord. The Earth's most soulful predator. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. That, that's, oh. Like, it's, it's so well written. And also, like this entire song is basically talking about like, Oh, so this is like an idea of like a loving God created us in our own image to the, f- the fuck do you know? Th- no, that's not what humanity has been. The, the hell are you talking about? Human, human nature. This place is savage and unjust. We crawled out of the darkness and endured your impatience. We're more than willing to adjust. And now you've got the gall. Yeah, this is the, definitely kind of the point in the album where it really goes from like. It goes from lyrics, really good lyrics with good music, to really good lyrics with really forgettable music. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that the issue with this one is that he's trying to kind of create a, a, a piano gospel right. song. So it's something that we've all heard before. So it's not anything new or kind of interesting going on. Right. Um, and there's less instrumentation the the farther on you get in the album. Yeah. As well. Um and I love the uh, the fact that he ends it with an allegory behind the idea of like the creation myth and human nature of just like yeah no we all are just trying to like create something out of nothing and we're all trying to find meaning in, in what we're doing huh sounds familiar <laughs> yeah um I, I I really do like this song 
I think mostly the reason why I like it so much is that it is it is a very good critique of the the hyper fixation that so many American Christians have on the end times, which is like a very specifically Christian thing or specifically American Christian thing. Yeah. Like the end times is, is less important in, in other sects of Christianity or different and countries of, of Christianity. It, with, it's a within, specifically American thing within the context of like, uh, within the context of Christianity, like, uh, just like as a religious thing, uh um fuck what am i trying to say it, yeah it's a uniquely like uh um fuck me dude <laughs> no you're good so like american christianity like the the hyper focus on the end times and and the coming end days and the and the idea that like there's this fire that's going to come in and and fix the earth and all of the sinners are going to go to hell where they fucking deserve to go um, that all started in like the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, because the working conditions in America were so fucking bad for so many people right. that they were like, well, we can't fix the, we can't fix your earthly, like what's happening on earth. So we're just going to focus on what the fuck's going to happen after you die. Right. And it's such a, it's such a convenient out because literally every generation of conservative Christians and evangelicals since then have been like, oh yeah, Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Jesus is definitely coming back in my lifetime. I feel it. I feel it happening. Yeah. Because the world is just so fucked and I can't be bothered to do any fucking thing to fix it because that's a big inconvenience to me. Uh, so I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna bank on the whole idea that I'm gonna get raptured, and that, like, my kids are gonna get raptured, and that, like, uh, the shit I do right now has no effect on them, or their kids. Even though the rapture is a a theological idea that is only 150 years old. And it it came... No, this is the most fucked up thing, this is the most fucked up thing about the rapture. Inform me. It, uh, was created by a, I think, Norwegian 11-year-old in, like, 1850 or whatever as, like, a vision that she saw Uh and was obviously condemned across the world except by an American preacher who heard the story. Oh, and then he was like, I can fucking market this. And then he was like, I can fucking market this. And then um, that was about 10 years before what's called the Second Great Awakening or the Great Burn. Uh-huh. Um, I went to, to school to study this shit, so that's why I know this shit. Right. Um, but what that is, is that the, the Second Great American Awakening is a, a religious movement that happened when preachers went from town to town in the uh, Northeast, Middle East, South of America to like re-Christianize the nation uh-huh. um, after world after the Civil War because you know spirits were at an all-time low right and whatnot but um, that er- those areas have been like proselytized to so much that that's why it's called like the burned over nation area because it was all hellfire and brimstone at that point because hellfire and brimstone goes really good against the idea that but you're not going to be here for any of that shit right. 
So that was really convenient. <sighs> that was really fucking convenient. Um, I feel like we're. Uh, I feel like we kind of glossed over the fact that uh, Josh and I may or may not have also experienced some religious trauma growing up. Yeah, <laughs> and yes, that maybe we relate to this album specifically in that regard. Yes, just a just a little, just a little bit, just a just a just a just a touch. Um, I just want to touch on two more songs, if that's cool with you. Um. The first one is two wildly different perspectives, which I think is probably the worst song on the album because it's a pretty boring um, musical track uh-huh. um, to start with. And then it's also just like presenting these false dichotomies, mm-hmm. which were more acceptable back in like 2015 before, you know, fascism was running amok in America to the extent that it is right now. Right. Um, but the entire song is about like, yeah, the right and the left, they both just want the same thing. It's a horseshoe. It's like, no, it's not, yeah, sir. I, no, it's not. See, I've definitely listened to the last half of this album less than the first half. Um, and yeah, I remembered, I definitely remember a lot of the lyrics in this song strike me as like, ooh, wait, did he just say that? Yeah. Did I just miss... I, I should look up the lyrics later, because I probably just misinterpreted what he was just saying. And then you look it up, and you're like, oh, no, he said... He said <laughs> right. that. So what I pulled was, one side says, man, take what's yours. The other side says, live on no more than what you can afford. But either way, we just possess, and everyone ends up with less on both sides. It's like, I get what, I get how you get there, but that's just wrong. I get how you get there, but you're just wrong on that. I'm sorry. Um, which, I th- which I think, like, this is informed by the fact that, like, he's a, he was a fucking millionaire by this point. Who was able to decide, no, I don't want to live in the hills of Los Angeles anymore. Like, he got to decide that he didn't want to live in a, a mansion in L.A., yeah. So like he's he's disconnected on a on a degree. He's, got, he's from uh, uh, I'd say it's more than a degree. His place of privilege is more than a degree separated from ours, which is several degrees separated from a lot of other people. Yes, exactly. Um but yeah, so it's it's spacious. There's also a lot of like ideas of like things coming in and coming out and it's a little more sporadic, which I think is an interesting choice but it it doesn't really it doesn't work it doesn't yeah so it's it's the most for me it's the most fine to bad album on the song or uh, song on the album no, you got it you got it yeah <laughs> um and then the only other one that i really wanted to talk about was the other super long song so i'm growing old on magic mountain yeah this is an okay song um, I just wanted to to mention it um, because the whole idea of it comes behind comes from the Thomas Mann novel Magic Mountain, which uh, have you read that or heard of it? No, I don't know anything about it. All right, so I think I may have like written read it or read a, a synopsis of it at some point, but what I, I was able to find through researching again um, was that it's a novel about a man who goes up to a sanatorium in the mountains mm-hmm. in 1920s. Um, Europe to see a sick brother before he becomes a shipbuilder and then he gets sick it's a TB hospital so he gets sick mm-hmm. and so he has to stay there and then he continues to get sick and they just hold him there until he gets better so he stays there for seven years and in those seven years he experiences um, life with all of these different people in the sanatorium um, who represent different ideologies um, ideological worldviews and also different nationalities. Mm-hmm. So it's like an, an Irish person, a French person, an English person, Jewish person, you know, and all of these different people um, represent different um, 
political ideologies, basically. Right. Um, and the whole idea is like it's this magical experience that you would never be able to get anywhere else. Mm. And at the end of the novel, he is finally good enough and has recovered from getting TB to be released. And by the time he gets released, it's 1927, and it is, or 1927-ish, towards the end of World War One. Okay. And so he decides, okay, and now I am going to go join the army. And so he leaves the sanatorium to go join the war, and it is heavily implied that because so many people died in Europe during World War One, They I, just got killed. They just got killed after this life-changing magical experience right. with all of these different people. Um, so the entire song is written as this like concept of uh, a desire to stay within those moments that make you magical, even the, even if they're in the past, mm-hmm. and the desire to hold on to that past, even that means you're no longer living, and and that desire to to hold on mm. to those happy memories, yeah, no matter how much it makes it so that you aren't living anymore. Um. I like the fact that it's kind of split up into two different parts. Yeah. As well. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's also the first time it feels like on the album that you're allowed to breathe the second part of the album. Cause it's the longest stretch of time that there's no lyrics. Yeah, that's true actually. Yeah. So, you know, you're like an hour plus in at this point, and then you're just listening to a very simple, repeated horns, piano, instrumentation, drums right. uh, stuff. That it, he spends as much time in the lyrics talking about how he just wants to continue to live life's greatest party up on Magic Mountain where no one ever grows old and nev- no one ever leaves. Mm-hmm. He spends as much time on this song talking about wanting to stay in that realm as letting no lyrics happen and letting the most amount of instrumentation happen on, on the entire album. I think it's a welcome breath towards the end after this entire... Right. M- miasma of just like cynical dark bullshit (laughs) um yeah i don't know i i I like it but i it it also is a nine and a half minute long song (laughs) so right um but i think it's it unlike leaving la i think it the the space on it is earned a little bit more definitely it it also just musically works better oh i mean the issue with leaving LA is is how repetitive it is for no real reason. Right. Like there there is no musical idea that's expressed in that song that contributes to the lyrical ideas. Yeah. No, I, I totally get you. Um, yeah. Versus uh, for Magic Mountain, it's very much in line conceptually with what's going on lyrically. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right. So, we've talked about this album a fuck ton. Yeah! Let's, let's see what some other people had to say yeah, about this album. Yeah, let's let some other people talk about it for <laughs> yeah. a bit. Um, so, obviously, this album was very highly rated when it came out, um, because Father John Misty is one of those, like, quote-unquote, breakthrough indie stars, indie darlings. Right. Um, and so, it was ranked in the top 50 of almost every single album rating for 2017. Um that was out there 
Um, so it, it was very highly rated in general. Um, the ones that I picked out um, was from The Guardian, which is another one. Um, Alexi Pedris gave it five out of five stars and said, it is also hard to think of anyone who has done it with better tunes. A great deal of the album's power come from the way the bleakness of the lyrics is offset by the uh, lusciousness of the melodies and the comforting familiarity of the sound with its acoustic guitars and beautifully subtle orchestrations. There is something hugely impressive about coming up with an album that somehow manages to be both incredibly discomforting and easy to listen to. Um, that was uh, okay. That was an okay. <laughs> We're reviewing reviews now. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome to the show within the show. Give that review a six out of ten. Um, Jeremy Gordon for Spin didn't give it a rating, but did write this about it. Perhaps the unlistenable parts of pure comedy are intentional. Are intentionally so a quote unquote fuck off to the norms who thought him just as a charming handsome yuckster good for an afternoon festival set it makes sort of a masterful gag to combat the ceaselessness churn of modern commerce by tricking several industries into taking you seriously only to crap your pants by choice he was not a fan all right he was not a fan of the album uh I don't disagree with anything he said, though. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't disagree either. Um, and then Pitchfork, uh, Jazz Monroe for them gave it a 7.6 um, and said that the scarcity of such interludes doesn't undermine the misty manifesto, but it does mean the record's pontifications, particularly the tired false equivalencies of, quote, two wildly different perspectives can test your patience. He instead settles on soothing defeatism, a litany of conquered crisis crises for those lessons amount to that's just the way it is. Given the album's thematic largeness, it's almost charming. Almost. But you wonder what kind of progressive future he envisions. That which will lift society or merely flatter his own intellect. Damn, that person knows how to review an album. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so those were some pretty alright reviews, but uh, listen, those reviews don't fucking matter. Yeah, that's true. Because we're going to give it the only review that matters. We're going to rate it out of 16. Jared, please give this an album rating out of 16. Oh, fuck. Um, this is honestly a hard one. Um... Because there are there are some legitimately very good songs on it. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, like uh, overall, I really appreciate the majority of of concepts that he delves into. I appreciate his opinion on a lot of stuff and his insight on a lot of stuff. And I like uh, I, I like the way that he presents his ideas in character. Yes, um, but that character is out of place on the stage mm. on a lot of these songs. Mm. Um, out of 16, out of 16, I'd probably give it a six. Ooh, that's a spicy take right there. A spicy. That's a spicy take. Cause what you like to know where I'm, I'm thinking of throwing I'm, this. I'm guessing like 14. No, not 14. 11 11 and 11 out of 16 i think that for me the thematic idea of like very basic easy to listen to um 
not anything impressive, but also nothing offensive musicality that happens Mm -hmm. mixed in with this very dark, very cynical, very defeatist, um, somewhat nihilistic um, lyrical content that is full of imagery and illusions, but also in your face bluntness Mm -hmm. Um, and how every single song has about two or three different themes within the lyrics packed in there. And it doesn't feel like it is weird or uh, meshed together in a, in a way that doesn't make sense either. Like every single song lyrical content fits, even though he's trying to convey like two or three different ideas at at the same time, which I think is a, a masterful use of lyricism as well. I think this is definitely the most lyrically deep album we've talked about so far, or at least dense. Um, yeah. So, and dense, I think is the right word. Dense is a much better word. Um, and yeah, I, I just think like there are definitely a lot of ways that it downfalls. Um, specifically, I would like to point out again that 13 minutes of this album is taken up by the song leaving LA. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. You are correct. And I think that is the big, uh, bugaboo on this entire album of either you're going to hear, hear that song and be like, all right, let's see where this takes us and be okay with it. Or you're going to get halfway through and you're like, why the fuck is he still talking? What the fuck is going on? And and I think that is going to be a, a, a big hit or miss um, part of the, the album for you. But I think even taking taking away, if, if let's say that like we just washed that out. It's a, it's a song and it happens. It's whatever. Right. Um, I, th- I still think the rest of the album is quality enough overall to to rank much higher than um, where you put it. Um, and I, but I think Here's that the- leaving LA also also for me personally I like it so much and I like the journey that it does take me on right because I I don't know I guess I connect with the ideas behind it a little bit more and maybe I have a little bit more emotional connection to the song through the album than you do um, but are you that's are why. you accusing me of not. Uh... Uh, having the emotional depth to... <laughs> I, I'm accusing you of not listening to this song in 2017 when it came out. I... Look, here's the thing, though, Josh. We're not rating albums minus a track or rating tracks uh, separate oh, from yeah. an album. No, 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 you're right, you're right. We're rating it as, as it stands album, in the yeah. context of the album. And that's why I'm giving it an 11. If, it, if the song was... If the song is there, I give it an 11. If the song wasn't there, I would give it a lower score because I think that song, like, does a lot for me. I think it is the... Personally, I think it's the most creatively interesting and out there song on the entire album. I, it is, okay. I think, it, I think no, it's the, the I, biggest uh, creative... I, I take offense to that. Okay. Listen, <laughs> just because a concept makes sense... That does not make it creative. Okay. Writing an intentionally boring song as a critique on the entertainment industry does not a creative decision make. What song would you say is a bigger swing on the album then? A bigger swing? Yeah, just like went for something. Went for a thing, anything. Okay, so you're you're saying that you appreciate the uh, uh, the aim, like you you appreciate the the oh, fuck. What am I? What's the word I'm looking for? The concept, ambition, 
Ah, uh, yes, yes. You, so what you're saying is you you appreciate the ambition of it. I do, but also it works for me as as well. That's the thing is like I appreciate the ambition. I appreciate the fact that it is so sparse that there's no drums the entire time. It's just him on Look, a guitar. Can I? I uh, please allow me to yeah, draw no. uh, yes. an, an analogy here. Please. Have you ever seen The Matrix Reloaded? Yes, I have. Yeah, so you've seen the scene with the architect of the Matrix. Yes. The what is it like 10 solid minutes of just exposition that happens before yes. the third act of this in the middle of the third act? I don't fucking remember. Middle of the third act, yeah. Maybe is the third act. I don't I I can't fully remember, but conceptually yeah. it makes sense, uh-huh. right? Yeah. It, it 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 works. Like uh, look, uh, the Matrix trilogy has its fucking shit ass things about it. Right. I, and I know this, but you can't you can't convince me that it's not uh that it's not conceptually cohesive. No, it, right? it is definitely co- conceptually cohesive. Um and so yes, in the context of the story, this thing that happens makes sense mm-hmm. and it uh is ambitious in that it, it it totally rearranges your understanding and and of of what's happening within this world. Yeah, but that doesn't make it an interesting scene, Josh. It's still ten minutes of fucking exposition <laughs> in the middle of the third act of an action movie. Oh God! I mean, okay. and we're talking about an album, Josh. Is and an there is a thirteen-minute <laughs> the the scene with the architect. In the Matrix Reloaded is shorter than this fucking song, Josh. You make a good point. I also really like that singing Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> I do too, but like I don't, you know, I don't defend it on the grounds that it's a good scene. I don't think it is a good scene. I honestly don't, but I love the what I love what it does for the the world building of the Matrix. I, and I really like what this song does for the world building of this song in Father Shadows. <laughs> no, I I, <laughs> I get what you're saying. I I, I again, it's not going to be for everyone. That I think that is a very fair thing to say about the song. I'm not saying it's a. Gr- I'm not saying it's a great song either. I it just works for me. It just okay. works for me, and it, it hits on the level that well, it needs to. Okay. Regardless, regardless, if we, if we okay, hit the so middle we, point between our two scores, it's something like an eight or nine, right? Yeah. So you're six. I'm an eleven. So if you go up two, I go down three. That's eight. If you go up three, I go down two. That's a nine. What? How, let's just see what those. I, how far can I drag you? That's the. That's let's the real let's question. see what those two respective spots are, and then we'll we'll uh, right. move forward. So, if we were to give it a eight out of nine, uh, that would, or sorry, eight out of sixteen, uh, that would put it right in between. Wait, one sec. Two, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right, so if we were to give it an eight, it would go right in between Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer and Blood Pressures by The Kills. And if we were to give it a nine, it would go right in between The Shape of Color by Intervals and Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer. Let's give it an eight. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Look... There are no songs that I want to skip on Destroyer's Rubies. 
There is a solid 13 minutes of this album that I want to skip. You know, that I'm going to continue to skip anytime I uh, listen, listen to this yeah. album, which okay. is not going to be very often. <laughs> 13 I mean, fucking minutes, Josh. Yeah, I know, I know, but I like those 13 minutes, so that's why this is harder for me, Jared. Yeah, but that's like uh what what would that be four standard songs worth of material yeah four ish standard songs imagine skipping four songs on any other album josh oh god you know the more you're talking the more i think for the integrity of what a good album is i think you're right and and uh, one and one more point that i would like to make uh, uh-huh. in in my favor is that th- th- we're not just rating the lyrics. Mm-hmm. If we were just rating the lyrics, this would be much, 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 much higher. Right. No, for sure. I, I agree with you. But we are we are not like we don't we aren't reviewing a, a spoken word album. We're reviewing a musical album. Right. And musically, no. neither of us have much to of note to say because there's not much of note to say. Yeah, no, you're you're making a lot of really good points. You're making a lot of really good points there. Um, I can see Josh's laptop screen today, so I already know he's conceded. I just think <laughs> I, I just think I, I have conceded. Um, but I think for me, like the only thing is like I think he's trying to conceptually do something with the music, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so boring. And so by the numbers, and I appreciate it. But taking away the whole, there's this grand theme behind everything that's happening. I I have to agree with you, um, and also like I don't feel passionately enough about the creative choices that he made on the music to try to fight to get it higher either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So yeah, it it is uh slotting in right in between Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer and Blood Pressures by The Kills, which. God, blood pressures by the kills is being done dirty. It's been been done so dirty. We were talking about this uh, a little bit in in the break. That Uh, full full disclosure, we had a major technical difficulty (laughs) and had to stop for like five minutes. Yeah. So while that was happening, we were just um, talking about you know the way that the list is is coming out and that we technically gave blood pressures a higher rating than Boarding House Reach. But yeah. we thought Boarding House Reach was a better album. So Boarding House Reach is now three and Blood Pressures now is 11. <laughs> Fucking brutal. <laughs> Fucking brutal. So let us run through. Well, it's the same top five and the same bottom five. Yeah, as I don't think it we need to before. go through it so, again. But we have a total of 16 albums on this list right now. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I'm impressed. Well, let's figure out what 17 and 18 are going to be. Let us pull up the official tape makers list. Uh, so we are going to be grabbing the ten sided die, which I'm just gonna double check. This is this yeah, is a ten. That's, that's a D ten, yeah. That's a D ten. Just listen. Verification sometimes. We're an official podcast. The Guinness Book of World Records, don't just do it if you by yourself did it one time, you know? Right. Alright, so I'm gonna go first. Go for it. Um and That's that a is ten. A, that is a ten. Uh, hell yeah, we are doing Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. I have not listened to that album in a long time. All right. I'm very excited. All right, Jared, r- roll. 
It's also a 10. I also got a 10. All right. All right. We're doing uh, Let It Die by Feist. Excellent. I've been wanting to make you listen to Feist for so long. Let's go. I'm very excited for this. Uh, Jared, we got through it. Yeah, we did indeed. We got through it. How are you feeling? Uh, relieved. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, I think both of us were a little nervous coming into this episode, uh, specifically because of pure comedy, but I, I, yeah. th- I, I think there was good discussions had and respectable decisions come, and came to at the end. I, I said this during our uh, our major technical malfunction, uh, that I think that the conversation that we had about the album and about the uh, concepts and the themes of the album is the reason the album exists. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. In, along with uh, the self-inflicted therapy. Yes. <laughs> well, it's not really self-inflicted because it's inflicted upon us. You know, he could have just done therapy by himself like a grown-up, but... He's a musician. <laughs> I think that he made this album in equal parts for himself and for the conversations specifically you and I had tonight. I agree. I agree. Uh, well, uh, to thank you everyone for sitting through everything. Uh, it's it's been thank a you. it's been <laughs> a ride. <laughs> thank you, Papa John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been Josh. Uh, Jared. Thank you for joining me. And what do we what do we tell the lovely people every single time we log off? <sighs> Organized religion is a fucking scam, dude. Don't just fucking don't, dude. Stop hurting other people. Don't hurt other people for the sake of whatever bullshit you've decided to believe uh, dictates the decisions you make in life. Thank you.